Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Dear John, I was hoping it wouldn't come to this, but you've left me no choice. I'm leaving. Uncontrolled high blood pressure is really serious, and lately you seem to really not care. I've been there for you since day one, and I know you think I'm going to keep ticking. But no, my friend, I can quit whenever I want. Why can't we get back to the good times, when we were more active and ate more healthy foods, and you checked on me every once in a while? Is that too much to ask? I don't want to leave. But unless you stop ignoring me, what else am I supposed to do? Remember, when I quit, you quit. Sincerely, your heart. Listen to your heart. Don't let it quit on you. Doing the minimum to control your high blood pressure isn't doing enough. High blood pressure can lead to a stroke, heart attack, or death. Get your blood pressure to a healthy range before it's too late. Find out how at heart.org slash blood pressure. Check, change, control. A message from the American Heart Association, the American Stroke Association, and the Ad Council. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm Jason Derulo. I love that music connects to people all over the country. But unfortunately, so does something else. Childhood hunger. 15 million kids struggle with hunger right here in America. And yet, every year, billions of pounds of surplus food in the U.S. go to waste instead of going to the children in need. Feeding America is working to change this. The Feeding America nationwide network of food banks rescues this surplus of food to help provide meals to families in virtually every community in the United States, including yours. But they just can't do this alone. Join me in the fight against hunger in America. For more information on what you can do to get involved, visit feedingamerica.org. That's feedingamerica.org. Together we can solve hunger. Together we're feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. <laughs> hey, everyone. You know, let's all stop what we're doing right now and take a moment. That felt good, huh? Just like that, we had a nice, special sort of moment. Together. Of course, they don't all need to be quiet moments to be special. They could be loud moments, goofy moments, sporty moments dorky moments. Moments where we talk or walk or just hang out. It doesn't really matter. They all count. Because every time dads like us take a moment like that to spend with our kids, well, it's pretty momentous. <laughs> Sounds like somebody agrees. So let's take a moment to make a moment. Today. Call 877-4DAD-411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council.
Music is a bridge between the material and the spiritual. My name is Harvey Lauer, and I'm 82. As a blind person, you have to be aware that nobody can tell you what you can or can't do. You really have to try things. My folks got me a little radio in 1940, and that was the best Christmas present I ever got. When I was 11 years old is when I started to uh, play music, play the piano, and then the accordion, and then the cello. My wife, who was also blind, was a good cook. When she died, that's when I started Meals on Wheels. America, let's do lunch. One in six seniors faces the threat of hunger, and millions more live in isolation. Drop off a hot meal and say a quick hello. Volunteer for Meals on Wheels by donating your lunch break at americaletsdolunch.org. This message brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. With a lot of hockey and baseball to a little BS, it's the BS Sports Show with Brendan Azoff and Stefan Rosner on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the BS Sports Show. I am Brendan Azoff. Joining me in just a moment is Stefan Rosner, and we got a great show planned today. Obviously, the MLB playoffs are getting underway right now as we speak. We're going to dive into that. Before we do that, we are going to talk about the NHL, some breaking news regarding personnel exchanges, and we also have the Stanley Cup finals that have wound down, and the Tampa Bay Lightning are the new Stanley Cup champions. But later on, at around 6.15, we are going to be joined by Sean Ward, Jordan Rosner, and TJ Rulo, writers for our website, sbsportstalk.com. We're going to have a Yankees roundtable to discuss the Yankees and Indians. Game one matchup between Garrett Cole and Shane Bieber, which should provide a lot of fireworks from the pitching front, not the offense front. Definitely should. We'll get to that later on in the 6 o'clock hour. But first off, before we get to the Stanley Cup final, hats off to Gary Bettman and Bill Daly for getting us through an entire playoff with zero positive cases. So, I mean, it's, it's really unreal what the NHL is able to do. And I know Bettman gets a lot of slack for decisions and the things he says. And he gets booed every time he goes up there, as do most commissioners. I guarantee when baseball, when he comes up to talk, they're going to blow him away. <laughs> but they really did a great job in keeping everybody safe. And it was competitive down to the wire. The best team won it. Tampa, Tampa was the best team. Dallas hung with them a little bit. But the biggest thing, I think, for me was Dallas not taking penalties. And they did this against a Lightning team who connected more times than not winning this series and getting their first cup in a very long time. Yes, yeah, since 2004. And there's so many times that we hear in hockey that special teams, you win that battle, you win the game. And it was exemplified in the Stanley Cup final. Tampa Bay's power play was lights out. Every time they got a power play, they converted, especially in overtime when they had power play situations, you knew the game was over. Shattenkirk won it, put them up three to one. And at that point, you kind of felt like Tampa Bay was going to win the cup. Dallas, on the other hand, they had a lot of power play chances late in games when they were down or up to go ahead and, and to tie it up. Even in this game, they had a power play chance with about four minutes to go, down 2 nothing. You convert there, it's a 2-1 game, pull your goal, you never know what could happen. But they looked miserable on the power play. And give, give credit to Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay did what they had to do. They dominated the final game from start to finish. And they were the better team in every series they played this whole entire postseason. Steven Stamkos, captain of the Lightning, gets in one game, plays two minutes and 47 seconds, registers one shot on goal. It's a goal. 
He wins a series, wins a cup. Doesn't matter how much he played. We know how much of an impact he had on the bench. We know he was there, obviously, the whole entire time. And, you know, for a guy that goes and tries to play, I mean, he only got to go into one game for one shift pretty much, maybe two, and then come out and not be able to finish. That's got to suck. But at the same time, his team rallied and played for him as well as a team, but they played for him and got it done. And you saw his face, his reaction. He's so proud. Yes, he wants to be out there really contributing. But I guarantee he did a lot of leadership stuff off the ice in the locker room to get them ready and help them win this. this Stanley and it's a, it's a rallying cry for them because him and Kucherov played together for so long. A lot of these guys have been together since that cup run in 2015, and they want to win for him. Obviously, he gave it his all. He tried to come back. He scored in that game and then got too hurt to play. Yeah. So they, they want to pick him up, and they did. And let me tell you something. Victor Hedman, people knew his name. They knew how good he was. But I think that people are finally realizing – this is the best defenseman in the NHL. For, forget his offense, obviously. The 10 goals, the third most by a defenseman all time. I haven't seen a defenseman move like that since Brian Leach watching those old videos, which is some high company to be in. But what he does defensively, there were a couple of plays where you can talk about that on the offense. Yeah, and he comes from behind, and he waits. Like, most defensemen would be rushing in, trying to hook. He waits until the forward shifts his stick, and then, boom, stick lifts him. I have never seen somebody with so much poise on the back end whether they're in good defensive posture or they're not. He is unreal to watch. And uh, as a Rangers fan, I'm very happy that Ryan McDonough and Kevin Shattenkirk, even though Shattenkirk didn't pan out in New York, both of them got a cup. McDonough had so many, so many great playoff games at the Rangers. And, you know, it's good to see him finally win it. The only thing that was going through my head watching him lift it is it would have been awesome if Lundqvist was on that team, if maybe he waived his no trade clause, got to be their backup. But that's a story for another day, but congratulations to those two gentlemen on winning their first Stanley Cups. Well, yeah, he would have, Lundqvist would have gone to the, uh, to the Lightning, and he wouldn't have played because Vasilevsky had, he played yeah. in every single game and 927 save percentage, 1.90 goals against average, 7.68 goals saved above average. He was unreal in its mass by the play of Hedman, Kucherov, and Point. Brendan Point had 14 goals, 19 assists in 23 games, 20.6 shooting percentage. 57.5% in the faceoff circle. And he did miss a few games against the Islanders. And you could tell the difference. As good of a lightning team as this is, when he's in the lineup, they are so much more dynamic, oh, puck yeah. moving, everything's crazy. But Kucherov, seven goals, 27 assists. Like you said, though, Victor Hedman was well-deserving. I mean, a defenseman scoring 10 goals, 12 assists. He had 11 goals in the regular season in 66, in, uh, 66 regular season games. He uh, turned crazy. it up. And the thing is, though, is he was scoring the same type of goals. It was no one's picking him up. And that's why the Lightning were so good is because their, their defense is really – you have five guys on the ice, they have five offensemen. When it's in the yeah. offensive zone, it's not three forwards, 2D trying to get to the front. It's no. Everyone on the top on the blue line can make a move to cut to the middle, lose their man. We saw Sergeyev do it against the Islanders. He did it also against Dallas. Their offensive prowess is just so much higher than every other team, I feel like. I mean, yes, look at Dallas. Hiskinen had a great – what do you have, 22 assists? Something like that. He had uh, 20 assists, six goals. I mean, they're great too. Klingberg yeah. as well. But the Lightning just on another planet. And we, we knew last year how good this Lightning team was. They just really came out in the playoffs. And I don't know if they didn't take it seriously or they were cocky from having one of the best historical regular seasons of all time. But they proved this year that they are actually that good. And yeah, it wasn't an easy road to the Stanley Cup finals. It wasn't easy. Yes, they won their series by more than a few games. But it was overtime wins. I mean, yep. they never lost a back-to-back -back game the whole entire playoff run. 
it was just unreal what we witnessed. And Pat Maroon wins back-to-back Stanley Cups. Is he the first? I think he might be the first player ever. He joins a select few of players to he's, be on he's one the team. last one. The last one to win it since Claude Lemieux did it in 96. Yeah. To win it with back-to-back Cups with two different franchises. I mean, it's unreal. It's awesome to see. Because I know he didn't, he did not get paid at all. No, I, think he, he, I feel like he got like a minimum. To well, he to- did. But remember, he went to Tampa. So there's no tax. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, it's, it winds up being close true. to the same. But the, the cohesiveness that you see in the offensive zone, it stems from how long this team has been together. Yes. And, yeah, they have some pieces come in and out, but the majority of them have been playing together for at least five years. And when you look at, you know, this playoff run, it was needed because they have Sorelli, who's an RFA, Cernak's an RFA. He played they well. Sorelli was so clutch this playoffs. Both of them did. And yeah. now you're looking at a team that I think five of their six defensemen are free agents. That's um, some variety. Their forward group is going to be a little more discombobulated and, and they got to figure out how in a flat cap to keep the majority of this roster together. So they needed to win this year and they did it. And, you know, you look at the other side, right? Joe Pavelski. Oh my God. I feel so bad because I've never seen a, he was the only stars player who was really noticeable in that final game. He was trying and pushing and every time they needed a big goal, he scored uh, 13 goals in the postseason. just, a great run for him, and yet again, he falls just short of winning that elusive Stanley Cup final. He set the record for most playoff goals by an American-born forward or player. And just he, – I don't even know if he was drafted, if he was undrafted or late-round pick. I know he wasn't early. He's he was definitely – All these great players come out of the late rounds. He, but what a career he's put together, and I really hope. He's got two more years left on his deal with Dallas. That's a good team still. They'll get Bishop back at full health next year. Rupe Hintz missed the last two games, so it'll help to get him back. We'll see what other moves they make. Corey Perry's a free agent. Do they bring him back? But they had a lot of pieces that shine. Heskinen had a great postseason up until the Stanley Cup final. He looked a little bit overmatched, a little bit gassed, which is to, to be expected. He played a lot of minutes. But that's another team where next year, don't be surprised if Dallas is in the Western Conference final Stanley Cup again. Yeah, and you, you for Fabelski, it just – you know, I want him to win the series, obviously, because I want him to get a cup. Well-deserving. He's one of the best forward in the league. Definitely the best one in front of the net. The things that he could do with deflections is – but, I mean, it's Crazy. the work he put in. You see the videos. He's every day before practice, after practice, practicing deflections. And deflections have been, like, a steady increase in the league of how teams are scoring. You get to the front of the net. And if you could have a guy like that, it doesn't matter how old you are. If he's not scared and not going to move out of the way, he can do this for another couple of years. Hopefully he does get another chance. They interviewed him after – was that the Corey Perry overtime winner? Yes. Where he, that game that he won, they interviewed him afterwards, and he goes, "Oh, really? We'll talk about that later." Something like that. He did, honestly, he's such a team player, such a leader, and you just hope that he finds a way to go back. You look at this. You talk about next year, Bishop being healthy, and then you get into the okay. What if Bishop was healthy? Did they win the Stanley Cup? Kudobin looked unreal before the Stanley Cup Finals. Something happened in his game. Whether he was nervous, I, as a goalie, I watched him very closely in the Stanley Cup Finals, and I realized that he was not being – he's a very aggressive goalie. When he's on top of his game, he is out there. He was stuck in his crease a lot. Even on breakaways, he was not po- – I mean, it was just things, little things that obviously contributed to the scoreboard. He has a 2.69 goals against the average, 9.17 save. And without him, they're not making it to the Cup Final. But at the same time, when you need to be the best at the biggest moment – he really didn't come through. He didn't make those clutch saves. And again, not blaming him because he was the only reason they made it there in the first place because he carried that team and played unreal. And it was a great story. But you just look back and now you get to think and go, some of these goals, you know, not a guy that was playing at the top of his game could let that in. You saw that with Varlamov when Varlamov was on top of the game, killing it in the playoffs. And then you had that one game where he looked off. It seemed like Kadobin couldn't find his game when it mattered the most. He couldn't. And I think 
part of that goes to, you know, like you said, nerves. He was off his angles, et cetera. But Tampa Bay realized watching game film that if he goes to one way, if you make a cross-ice pass, he tends to slide a little more aggressively than most goalies, and they were picking that blocker. And it was consistent how many shots were going blocker side and how many shots were beating him. And Shattenkirk's game, winner went blocker side. And then the next game in OT, Tyler Johnson barely missed winning on another blocker side shot. It grazed his jersey and kind of ricocheted away. So that was the type of thing that Tampa Bay was doing. And I know as a player, if I see a goalie who has a tendency of sliding like that, you want to go back across the grain. And Tampa Bay, when you have that many guys who are lethal, even Victor Hedman was doing it. When he was coming in from the point, he would slide out and he would go back the way he was sliding. And they picked him apart. What about Sorelli in overtime? When he tried to yeah. do the chip, the chip goal, was, that would have been glove side, but he, he had it. He just yeah. It's the same thing. Every time they had the puck on one hand, they would shift it, and Kudobin was sliding, they would try to go back. It was very consistent and very noticeable. And I think that Kudobin is not a big goalie, right? Bishop would have changed that. So very interesting to see how, you know, the dynamic would have been different if it was Bishop and goal. If he was, say, they, they put two games of Kudobin, obviously Tampa Bay had a game plan. They were able to switch to Bishop mid-series. Would that have changed it? I really think it would have. I think it would have been really cool to see, though, Bishop versus former team in the yep. finals. Yeah. Also, another thing with um, the two head coaches, obviously they have history. And during the handshake line, they, they didn't uh, – Rick Bowes, was, he was hugging all the players. I noticed that too. He hugged all the players, and then he saw Cooper, one handshake, and moved on. I thought they were going to have like a heartfelt yeah. moment there. They didn't, which is – you know, Cooper, I like him. He went to Hofstra, which is really close to me. And, you know, he's worked his way up from – I think he was a practicing lawyer or attorney or whatever. And then he's like, oh, hockey. Um but he seemed very, very cocky. During, during the post-game uh, press conferences, the things he said, I mean, can you be cocky when you win the whole thing? I mean, yeah, I guess you can. But I don't know. I feel like especially with a coach that was under you, who's definitely older than you, so you got to give him respect that level. It was a great series. I just thought that you would have more to say, even talk about him and everything like that, because he did show how much he cared. All the players were hugging him, yep. the Dallas Stars coach, and – it was awesome to see because he clearly cared about them and, you know, it was a tough series, but I thought Cooper didn't do enough to show his, I mean, I, I guess you're there's probably more there. going on behind yeah. the scenes. Yeah. yeah I mean, that moment on the handshake line, Cooper is like, that's the end of it, right? They yeah. just got through all the players and he goes, I want to celebrate the cup. So I think that has part to do with it. Cause you did see every single Tampa yeah. Bay player was hugging him. Like they, there's a lot of respect there. And Rick bonus probably goes, listen, if I'm going to lose to people, these guys have been five years straight in the playoffs of disappointment. So let it be them. But we got to shift gears because there's a lot of stuff going on in the NHL that's not having to do with on ice action. There's a lot of moves going on behind the scenes so far, starting with the Ottawa Senators, who I wouldn't say surprisingly because of the flat cap situation, but they do buy out the Masterson Memorial Award winner, Bobby Ryan, who had two years and $14.5 million remaining on his deal. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of – did you see – he didn't really see it coming, Bobby Ryan, and it's tough because he's 33 years old right now. He has not been the player he used to be when he was on the Ducks, scoring 30-plus goals in a span of, I think, three or four years where he was just dominant. dominant. We find out that he struggled with alcoholism, uh, alcoholism abuse. He checks into rehab. He gets better, comes back, scores a hat trick. Great. You love to – I mean, obviously you don't love the situation, but when a player can come back and do something on the ice like that, it's just magical. We've seen it throughout the – history of the NHL, we've seen players come back and do magical things. And I think he's done. No, I think the Islanders should go. There's teams that definitely should go after him because yes, he's not going to be an elite winger that maybe the Islanders need, but he could play third line minutes and rack up 25, 26 goals, 20 something assists, you know, just 
I don't think he's done. At 32, I don't think he's no. done. And his buyout is 1.833.333 annually for the next four years. I get why Ottawa did it because they're, they're, they were already in complete rebuild and now they're, they're really looking at it and go, okay, we're completely done. Craig Anderson, who's been there for a very long time after, you know, starting his career with Chicago, then he went to Florida, then Colorado. I mean, he was a journeyman that no one really knew about because he's just been on Ottawa for such a long time. But they move on from him, and he's got to understand that as well. Times are changing. It's not gonna. He, he's not helping them there getting lit up because their their defense is terrible. You know, Bobby Ryan. I saw people on Twitter a plus minus. It was terrible. He was on the worst team in the NHL um, last year with those stats. This year they weren't that good either. Second worst team. I just think Bobby Ryan is a lot more in the tank, and I think someone something's gonna give him a chance, and it's gonna it's gonna pay off because you don't have to sign for that much. Maybe two million max. That's what I, I think, would do. I think we just saw a team play in the cup final that's going to offer him a contract. Dallas. I think that Dallas tends to do that, right? They have that big body forward group. They know that they're good defensively. They want somebody that's responsible, two sides of the puck. And they signed Pavelski. They signed Corey Perry. And now you have a guy in Bobby Ryan who's a big bodied forward. You know he can score. Like you said, you don't have to pay him a lot with a buyout. He, he also can play on the third line. He can move up to the second or first two. He, and he's talented and he's only 33. So it's not like he's over the hill. Right. So I think that we could see what happens where they take Perry off the books and add Bobby Ryan, who's a younger version of him. Uh, it, it'll be interesting, but there's going to be a lot of teams that, that are cup contenders that want Bobby Ryan services. And there's going to be a couple of teams that need a backup goalie that Craig Anderson will be able to join as well. So those two guys will find a new home next year and hopefully they can perform closer to what they used to do. I think that Bobby Ryan definitely will rebound. And another Ranger, well, not Ranger, another player who's past his prime that got moved is the Rangers defenseman, Mark Stahl, who this was a contract that they were trying to move for so long and nobody would take it. And the only team that would take it is a team that needed to get to the cap floor and to the Detroit Red Wings. They eat all of his $5.7 million, but the Rangers throw in a second round pick as a sweetener, which is a big cost. A second round pick is a big cost, especially next year. Now they, if they trade a draft pick for somebody, say Eichel, Wink, they'll have no draft picks in the first couple of rounds next year. So there's a lot of interesting parameters with this, but they get his cap off the books and it kind of frees up the space to re-sign Stroman D'Angelo. I mean, this has been your what, birthday wish for the last 10 years of your life? Oh my God. I, every time, now listen, <laughs> when Mark Stahl was younger, yeah, he was very I loved him, yeah. right? He was one of the best defensemen I've ever seen just defensively, not worried about the offense, and then he got hit by his brother a long time yes. ago when he was on Carolina, got a concussion, yes. wound up playing through those concussion symptoms because this was before they had the spotters and all that. Came back the next year, got hit in the face with a puck in the eye, missed all that time with the orbital fracture, and his career was just never the same. So this is one of the few players that he has excuses, right? It, there was a lot of stuff that happened injury-wise, but, I mean, he was his foot speed had deteriorated so rapidly he couldn't defend anymore. He would wind up going down on one knee doing the old Olay poke check, and he would get beat every time. And it was tough to watch because he, you knew how good he used to be, but this, he had to be done, right? Like, he was not helping you by any stretch of the imagination being on the ice for your team. Yeah, again, go back to the eye injury. I think that was the dagger. I, you just saw after that, you know, going to the dirty areas, he really backed away. And I, and I get it. I mean, I'm, I see Clutterbuck doing the same type of thing. When he came back from his wrist injury, he was very nervous to get – do, very nervous to do his job. Mark Stowe was never a speedster. He's a defenseman that could box out in front of the net, clear the puck, get it out. And you, you just watched his play slowly, slowly get worse and worse to the point where 
he couldn't even play third line minutes for the Rangers because it's not helping the young kids. You know, they learn by example. And when you have a guy out there, a veteran, making mistakes, again, not saying it's his fault. It's just the fact that injuries, concussions, I don't know what his CTE is going to look like in the next blank amount of years. But it's not helping growth for these young players. And you get the move. And that's why you also think Lundqvist might, will probably get bought out at this point now. He's done. So I think for Detroit, though, they have a decision to make. Do they buy him out or do they keep him? It's not a terrible idea to keep him. With the young, they're, the they Detroit might. is such a young team, or they're trying to be as young as possible. That yes, he he didn't show in New York that he could still help young guys grow. But I mean, Detroit needs a leader. They need somebody because you, you look at Advocator and he, he hasn't done anything. What pretty much once Datsuk and Zetterberg left, this team just yeah. played down. Now this was a dominant. This is one of the best teams in like 25 years. I think they made it to the Stanley cup playoffs and it was just dominance, dominant, dominant. Now you look at, they are, they are like historically bad. So I think, I think so could help them playing limited minutes. He knows where he is in his career. So we'll see how that goes. Let's move on to though, to a defenseman that got a nice little uh, pay raise, a little bit. Jeff Petrie, uh, Montreal Canadian signs him to a four year, $25 million, 6.25 AAV. This guy was great. This guy is very, very underrated in the shadow of Weber, but you saw what he did in the playoffs. He had two goals, but those two goals were game winners. He has an offensive um, game that many people I don't even think realize, but also it's not even the offense. He's so good defensively. And for a Montreal Canadiens team where it's pretty much carry price or nothing on defense, that's what it was. They didn't score. They had to play defense. They had to keep him. He gets his last contract was six years, 33 mil, 5.5 AV, and an error with a flat cap. He got a nice pay raise. He's got to be happy with that. He had, 11 goals, 29 assists in 71 games played this year, 25-27 in the playoffs averaging per game. Two goals, like I said, two game-winning goals, one assist in 10 games. But I like this decision by the Canadians. I, again, a flat cap, it's hard to, it's hard to get a, give anybody a raise, let alone take money away for a new contract because it's flat. It's, you know, everyone expected it to go up. But Montreal seems high on this guy, and we should too because he had a great playoffs for them. I know it was only 10 games. They made it through one round, lost in the second. He's a great player, and I think he's going to really help this club turn the page. Yeah, he's a very good defenseman. Like you said, he showed what he could do in the playoffs. But, I mean, four years, he's 32 years old, 6.25. Like, giving him that much of a pay raise, I hate this deal. Like, I absolutely hate it. And they already have Shea Weber on the books. I Obviously, you want to re-sign him. Yeah. But to me, it doesn't make sense to give him that term and amount of money, especially, like you said, during a time where all teams are going to be restricted salary cap-wise. So now they're going to make some other moves. Uh, I'm interested to see what they do. But for me, I mean, this isn't a guy that's ever like really jumped off the book as being a, a defenseman that should get six and a half million dollars uh, per year. And, and now he's going to bump up this whole market. You got guys like Tori yeah, Krug that were going to ask for that. Now they're going to ask for more. I mean, Dmitry Kulikov in Winnipeg, who's been an average defender at best, is now going to warrant. He got three and a quarter last year. He's going to warrant closer to five now because of this deal. It's very very interesting it's and questionable but at the same it time is. Though, they didn't want to let him go and maybe that's what he said to them he said listen this is what i want and they they have such young players that they're not in a an issue right now they have young wise. forwards that's what i was gonna say they don't have they have young forwards that are aren't off the books just yet which again they'll have a problem eventually every team does when they have young players but i think right now they thought about it and went, you know what we're okay financially on the forward group let's not let this guy go to free agency and and eventually because if he leaves and they have a hole they have to fill in Petrie started with Edmonton, correct? I believe so. So that's why we didn't really hear much about him because it's Edmonton. But you got to think, for a player that's 32, right, he's got to understand in a flat cap, he's not going to get as much money as he may want. So he wants to go for term. He wants the stability. So four years at five and a half, giving him a 500, like he probably would have said yes. 
yeah. you would think. And to me, now you have Shea Weber, who's getting older. You have Petrie, who's 32. You have him till he's 36, right? You, I don't know what their other defensive situation looks like contract-wise, but you also have Carey Price and Goal, who's over 30. So their back end is getting older, not younger. Their forward group is young, but like you said, they're going to have to resign them, and now you're going to have some of these older guys' contracts in the way. It's a very unique situation there. It's kind of the exact opposite of the Rangers who are going young, 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 and then they're going to have trouble signing all their young guys. Montreal is going to have trouble signing young guys because they're giving money to older guys on the back end. So maybe uh, I don't think, know. I, what I really do think is maybe they think they're ready to compete more than we th- everybody else thinks they're. Maybe they know not know something, but maybe they really think that the group they that the group they have can actually win now, and that's why they made the deal rather than wait. I mean, they probably do because that playoff series, but that's also, it could be false hope because would they have won a playoff? They wouldn't have been in the playoffs had it been a regular, like they would have had a pick. They would have been able to draft somebody. So I hope they're not looking too much into that qualifying round victory. I, I don't think they are. I think that they understand that Peachy's a solid defenseman. So they, they wanted to keep him. But four years, 25 million is not cheap, especially in hockey terms. So well, hopefully it pans out for them. I, I think that it'll be interesting to see all the salary situations this off season. Granted that there's a flat cap and that there's going to be a lot of movements. And I think that before the October 9th draft day, we're going to see a lot more players on the move, a lot more contracts being swapped. And it's going to be interesting. When we come back, we're going to dive into the MLB playoff games that are currently underway and the ones that are still to come. We're going to give you our predictions. So stay with us. Don't move anywhere. Ranger Station, Ranger speaking. Hi, um, I'd like to report a bear hug. Uh-huh, okay. Well, we were building a bonfire, and I, I saw some, like, dry brush and leaves around, so, you know, I, I said to move the bonfire somewhere else, and out of nowhere, Smokey Bear shows up and hugs me. So you noticed some wildfire hazards and moved your bonfire to a safer location. Yeah. Yeah, that's Smokey, all right. He likes it when people help prevent wildfires. It hits him close to home. Not everybody gets the hug, my friend. So that's pretty special to get a hug from Smokey Bear. Huh, so it was him. Hey, guys, I told you it was Smokey. Okay, well, congratulations, my friend. And thanks for calling. There are many ways to prevent a wildfire. Learn how you can do your part at SmokeyBear.com. Only you can prevent wildfires. Sponsored by the U.S. Forest Service, Ad Council, and your state forester. Hope you enjoyed your meal. And I just want to say, he's lucky to have a brother like you. Lucky? Caring for my brother is far from easy. Waking up every day, lifting him from the bed to the wheelchair to the car to get him to therapy on time. It's no small task between the doctors and the diagnosis, but nothing can disable this love. This is my big brother, my hero. He's part of me, like my arms and legs. So I'll be his. (laughs) See, there's no time for tired. This starts again tomorrow. He'll be waiting for me. I wake up for him. I know he needs me, but I'm the lucky one. Even though I need help now and then. If you're caring for a loved one, visit aarp.org caregiving for care guides and community or call 877-333-5885. 
Caregiving Resource Center, support for your strength. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. someone who's being bullied online send the witness emoji it looks like an eye in a speech bubble and it's in the symbol section near the clocks in your phone you'll let the world know it isn't cool and you'll let your friend know you care learn more about the witness emoji at eyewitnessbullying.org brought to you by the ad council it may be hard to believe but people just like you are already saving money feedthepig.org makes it easy their simple savings plan teaches you how to start saving without going overboard so you don't need to mooch off your friends. You gonna finish that grape? You mean the one in my mouth? You don't need to stop buying the necessities. What you're smelling is a natural musk. Ew. You don't need to be a medical test subject. How do you feel? Mostly okay. I... <laughs> Sometimes, though. You don't need to get a second job as a stuntman. You just need an internet connection. Don't get left behind. Start your personal savings plan with the tips and tools on feedthepig.org. That way, you don't need to sell your soul to the devil. All right, deal. Brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. When is the best time to talk to your family about staying in touch during a disaster? When floodwaters reach your door. are engulfing the edge of your neighborhood or an earthquake is destroying buildings when a tornado is tearing through town or a hurricane strikes or is the best time perhaps today during a disaster you may not be able to stay in touch with your family or friends as easily as you think and it's not always as simple as using your cell phone. That's why now is the time to take action. Go to ready.gov communicate and make your emergency plan today. Don't wait. Communicate. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the BS Sports Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. All right, welcome back to the BS Sports Show, and now we're going to dive into the MLB postseason. We have two games that are currently underway. It is the Houston Astros and the Minnesota Twins, and the Chicago White Sox are playing the Oakland Athletics. Uh, Lucas Giolito was the story early on. He had a perfect game going into the seventh inning. Tommy LaStella broke it up, a trade deadline acquisition, and now the Oakland Athletics are threatening in the bottom of the eighth. Giolito came out for the eighth inning, he gave up a walk and a base hit, so they have first and third, nobody out, and the White Sox bullpen is in the game. As far as the Houston Astros and Minnesota Twins, the Astros are 
currently up right now in the ninth inning. It was first and second, two outs. George Springer grounded to shortstop, and there was an error made on the play. So it's bases loaded, two outs in the ninth. The game is tied at one. So first good couple of games so far. It looks like the White Sox were going to roll away, but now the Athletics are threatening here in the eighth inning. Yeah, and Blue Jays' Rays are underway as well. Top of the second, 0-0. Zero, zero. We'll get to that first because out of all the matchups in this postseason, these two teams are the only ones that faced each other in the regular season. They're both obviously the AL East. Tampa's the best team in the AL. And you look at this matchup, and it's been close. Um, head-to-head, Tampa had it six games to four. But they had five contests of one-run games, three decided by two runs. So this is, this is a tough team. Toronto is not a, a joke of a team to play against. The thing is that they have so much young talent. It's right. They make the playoffs. Great story. But can they, can they do what they did during the regular season in the playoffs against such a dominant Tampa Bay team? Their starting pitching has been great. Um, their bullpen's been good and they hit. I know Austin Meadows, I'm not sure if he's playing. He was hurt. I'm not sure if he's still hurt, but if he's out, that's a big piece. But you look at you look at Toronto and we saw what they did to the Yankees. I mean, they have pop. They have I mean, you have Bachette, Guerrero, um, Biggio, three people Hernandez. Who, I mean, yeah. but three people whose whose family are Hall of Fame. I mean, it's crazy. The town that they have that they come from. I just think Tampa Bay is too good of a team pitching wise and they'll be able to shut them down. Yeah, I agree. And to echo what you said, Tampa Bay's pitching is the difference, right? They're going to start with Snell. They're going to go to Morton and Glass now. Those are three of, of the best pitchers in baseball all in one staff. Their bullpen's equally as impressive. Their starters have a 3.77 ERA this year. Their relievers at 3.37. And at home, Tampa Bay's ERA is 2.99. So they like pitching at Tropicana Field. And for Toronto, their ERA for their starters is 4.55. And their bullpen's a 4.71. And it's a 4.86 on the road. And we saw... They, they look terrible at Yankee Stadium, but really good in Buffalo. So I think that the fact that they're going on the road, I, I just don't like this series for the Toronto Blue Jays. I think that Tampa Bay, they snuck into this year being overshadowed by the Yankees, but they were a really good team last year, and they're even better this year. And this is a legitimate World Series contender. And they're, like I said, pitching is going to be the biggest story of this playoffs because it's only three games in the first round. And when you have three guys, like you said, Snell, uh, Morden, Glass now, that's confidence. There's not a lot of teams out there that, could, that have three guys, especially this year, that could go, yeah, I have three guys that could shut down everybody. I mean, we, the Yankees will get to. They have, a, they have a question mark for who their number three pitcher is going to be if it gets to that point. Like I said, it has to get to that point. First, I just don't see Toronto even winning a game, to be completely honest, and I think that Tampa's a better team to win this series. No knock to Toronto. It's a great season. I know it's short, but they had a lot of young guys prove their worth, and it's a definitely a good stepping stone for this franchise, especially if you know, they, they like the Buffalo air, but they'll be back in Toronto next season, hopefully. Yep, and I'm going to echo your pick. I'll take Tampa Bay to win in two games. And let me just clarify before we get on to games that have already started. Every pick that we're making, we've had before. I have a bracket made on MLB.com if you want to see proof. And I'm just going to say it now before we even get into it. I have the Yankees beating the Dodgers in the World Series. It's what I had before the season started. I'm not going to change it, even though I have zero confidence in it right now. I'm going to stay with that. Yeah. I don't want to talk about the Yankees yet because, you know, as, as Yankee fans, it's kind of tough looking at the series. The way they've come in, if they had come in after – if they had kept their winning streak going and they come into the playoffs, I'm so confident they win this series. But the inability to hit good pitching and relying on the home run ball too much really scares me, especially when you're going against a guy like Bieber. Again, losing game one is detrimental. Detrimental because you are back against the wall, pressure on – 
And the Yankees, when there was pressure, they didn't come through. A ton of errors, lack of days of good play. Yep. That's tough. But let's go to Oakland. Chicago White Sox, you gave the update right now. It's Is it still? It is still. It's four to one. It's But there's two outs in the inning. So yeah. it was a, a productive job by Marshall coming out of the bullpen so far. But Oakland did get on the board. And Houston actually just took the lead two to one in the bottom of the ninth, wow. in the top of the ninth. Wow. That's, I mean, Astro, this is the most 2020 thing would be the Astros to win this whole thing. But we'll I get really to, hope not. So for Oakland, Chicago, again, number two seed playing at number seven. And I would have gone with Oakland if Matt Chapman was healthy. And the biggest problem is who's going to play third base and fill that hole. Chapman was not having a great season at all. But in a shortened season, you get into the playoffs. All that matters is what you do now. And Chapman's come up clutch in the past. He creates um, – uh, what's it called he in that lineup you know with Chapman you have Olsen he's you know he protects them and with him out of the lineup you just don't have to really pitch to Olsen if you don't want to they have Simmons at the top who's been great but Chicago White Sox are a great story the question was could Giolito be the ace he needs to be for this franchise because is he an ace not yet he's an he's a top pitcher for this team obviously clearly he's their number one but when you talk about an ace guy that goes out there where you expect six seven plus innings of shutout baseball he's not the guy you think but he had a great game today going seven-plus innings. Um, don't know if he was credited. I guess he got an earned run on that because yeah. they scored one. But this white Jose Abreu has had a phenomenal season. Phenomenal. And he's one of those players that really had to step up. Question mark, uh, Jimenez didn't play in this one. And then Edwin Encarnacion is not in the lineup. A veteran who's swung the bat pretty solid this, this year. But you look at this team and – it's great for Chicago because the Cubs have slowly, slowly become not – they're not the same team they were when they won. Obviously, and the White Sox are on the rise. They're a fun team to watch. And I really think they could – well, obviously, they're most likely going to take game one. I'm not going to jinx anything yet because I've, I've jinxed too many things on Twitter. I've been like, oh, yeah, what a game so far. Great defense. Stars, good for goal. It just wasn't good. But I, I do think Chicago White Sox – I'll give Oakland the benefit of the doubt that this goes to three games, but I think Chicago finds a way to get the job done and win this series. I completely agree. I think Chicago is going to win in three. I, I don't like the fact that the A's started a lefty today because Chicago, I believe, is 14-0 against lefties this year, and they're probably going to go to 15-0. and But uh, to me, Oakland's going to get that middle game, and I think that at the end it'll, it'll be interesting to see. But Chicago's youngsters are going to benefit from no fans being in the stands, and and they went into the playoffs cold, but I think a win today definitely brings their confidence back up. And, and another team that got into the playoff cold is the Houston Astros, who actually are the only American League team to finish below 500 and make the playoffs. They're the sixth seed going to Minnesota to play the Twins. And like you said, they're currently up two to one. Uh, the Twins had the fourth lowest ERA in, in the baseball with 358 or in the American League. And let me tell you something. The Twins, you know about their offense, but their pitching has been a surprise this year. Kenta Maeda is a Cy Young finalist, and I don't know if I remember. No, he won't because of Shane Bieber, but he had a great year. And coming over from the Dodgers, right? I mean, you didn't think this much of him, but he was a very solid pitcher. He starts this game. He matches stride for stride with Granke. So uh, it's interesting to hope – hopefully they beat the Astros because nobody wants the Astros to win. All right, I'm done with that team. Jose Altuve has the RBI, by the way. He has the go-ahead RBI by a walk because he's three foot seven. So it would have been a strike down the middle. Everybody else is high for him, so he gets to to walk it off. But you know what? I'm sitting here, and I'm like, if this Twins team with this bullpen could just score, like the, their offense is so great, and then all of a sudden come postseason, they just forget how to play baseball. They've lost – this would be 17 straight losses. In the yeah, postseason. That's nauseating. Not series losses, 17 straight games, which means every time they go there, they get swept. 
So this was the year. You don't have to play the uh, Yankees. You get to play the Astros, who are depleted below 500, and they're looking at an 0-1 series start right now. And they have, they have a problem that Donaldson is not on the roster, didn't play today, calf issue. It seems to not be a minor thing. This might be a problem. And also Nelson Cruz, their veteran leader, slowed down. He did not have a great end to the year. And you look at it, and this is a game that – RBI double today, though. He did? Yep. Nelson no, Cruz. That's always – I mean, obviously you want your veterans to step up. Again, it, doesn't, it really doesn't matter – what you do in the regular season. I mean, we'll talk about the Yankees later with deserving of spots. That's one thing. You have to play well enough to get a spot. But a guy like Cruz, you know, he's DH and you know what he's going to bring. He's got the power. He's got the prowess in the, in the postseason. But you look at it and it's Minnesota's got to stop the bleeding. Yeah, this is a game they could have won. They had chances. They didn't get it done. But you talk about Maeda. And when he was on the Dodgers, especially last year, he was he was not a starter in the playoffs. He came out of the bullpen. I, I forgot what the stat was, but he came out of the bullpen a ton and played well. But now he goes to Minnesota and gets to be that guy that relies heavily upon in big games. Barrios had a, had a solid year. He his move the movement on his pitches is it's it's Crazy. disgusting. I can't imagine myself being in the box. I just it was not even worth it. But no, I mean the Twins are the fourth lowest ERA. And it showed in this game they pitched well. The problem was the offense. And then how big of a loss is Donaldson? And just getting over the hump. I don't want the Astros to end up 4-1 now. Yeah. You said that. Two outs in the ninth, first and third, one-two count. Well, I mean, and it was an Brantley's error in this up, inning. Yeah. 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 Brantley just drove in the two runs. And it was an error this inning that, that kept it alive and gave the Astros now a three-run lead. But we're not going to – I'm picking Minnesota to win this series still. I don't know. Who are you taking? Before this, I would have taken Minnesota, but now it's Oh, uh, you can't change. Minnesota. Minnesota in three. Well, that's cheating. Okay. Minnesota. Well, no, because well, the, game, the game's happening. We, we didn't know Donaldson would be out. We didn't know that, you know, the Astros could hit without garbage cans. But not, they really couldn't. They had what? You said like an error. gave them the lead. Oh, the, the error kept the, inning, uh, the inning alive. It should have been yeah. done. But the next series in the American League is Cleveland against the Yankees, which we're going to preview in the second hour. So we're not going to dive in. Uh, like I said, I picked the Yankees to win the World Series in the beginning, so obviously I have to pick them to win this series. Stefan, who are you taking? Who am I taking? I'm saying it's going three. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the Yankees if they could learn how to hit, and if they show up in Game One and they get 13, 14 strikeouts in that game, they can't do anything. They're gonna lose the series. But I'll say Yankees find a way because I feel like they they usually do find a way in the first round. It's just later on. Later on, it's if they make it past the first round. Later on, the inability to hit great pitching and rely on the home run ball is going to kill them. And it's going to be the same story. They're going to come up in a big moment, fail, probably lose a series. And we'll have the same discussion we've had every single year for the last couple of years. Yeah. I think they need one win. If they can get a win against Shane Bieber, that'll give them a lot of confidence. Well, if they win against Bieber, Tanaka has been so good in the playoffs. Not not even that. We saw what happened when they went on a 10 game win streak, right? You couldn't touch them. So if they can get onto that same streak right now, you win the World Series. But they got to score so, against Bieber early. That's going to be the biggest thing. Once Bieber gets in the groove, you are done. A lot easier said than done because yeah. this guy is the best pitcher <laughs> in baseball right now. So close, yeah. moving on to the National League, we have the one seed and the World Series favorite LA Dodgers against the eighth seed Milwaukee Brewers. Um, I would like to give the Brewers a chance. Just on paper, it's it's so lopsided. I'd be like, it would be really cool if they could make it a three-game set. But this series, it looks like it's over before it starts just because the Dodgers are so dominant, 43-17 and 17 this year. Uh, they're just – they're the first in home runs. They're the first in ERA. Uh, they just – they're the best team in baseball right now, and we've seen that the last three years. I think the last three years they've been knocked out of the playoffs by the eventual World Series champions twice in the World Series 
and once in the NLCS against the Nationals last year, of course. So I think they get back to the World Series. Will they win it this year? It seems like this is their year if they're going to do it with Mookie Betts and, and what he's doing there as well. So I got the Dodgers winning this in two games. Yeah, I completely agree with that statement. I I, just, I didn't see enough from Milwaukee. Yellich didn't – I mean, their team – the team just didn't play well. They had a 223 batting average, but a 416 ERA. And you're going against the best hitting team and the best pitching team. And this is a team that we, the record you see, 43 and 17, that's what we all expected the Yankees to be. Yep. And they weren't. The Dodgers played. They showed up. Moogie Betts, great. I mean, this team, I mean, Bellinger had a down year, though. They had a lot of guys with down years and still found a way. And that's what happens when you have good pitching because you don't need to score 30,000 runs a game to win. You can score four or three, and the bullpen's going to shut the door. The weird thing is that Bueller is getting the game one start. Kershaw is getting game two. And I'm very. We we actually talked about this earlier on in the show, you know, before we were the BS Sports Show and all that. I had said it's coming to the time where Kershaw is not going to get that one start. Bueller has overtaken him. I actually, I vaguely remember that. Yes. So Um, it's happening. Well, the the thing is, let's say Dodgers win game one. I'm very, because Kershaw has never shown up in the playoffs. And I'm very interested to see that maybe the pressure of not pitching in the game one where it's a deciding factor. Plus if they win game one, he's, he can, I, I really feel we'll see a Kershaw-esque performance in game two. If they win, if they don't win game one, which if that happens, Oh boy. And Kershaw doesn't pick up the game two win. A lot of question marks are going to be asked, but I can't see this Brewers team Brewers team doing much of anything. And on the road, their ERA is 4.17 and obviously the Dodgers are home. So it's going to be a tough one for Milwaukee, but Hey, Milwaukee's been in a position like this before last year. I mean, they were very good last year, but they still had to find a way to come through. Yelich was out the whole year, right? He didn't even play in the playoffs. He, he, was, he was banged up in the postseason, definitely. And, I, and they don't have Gresham anymore, the guy that committed the error that really cost them. He's on San Diego crushing baseballs. But uh, we'll see it, how it goes. I just don't think. I don't we've think seen stranger there. things happen in the postseason, right? I mean, so Miami's here, right? Exactly. So <laughs> could kill – I mean, in 2020, anybody could win. But – this this is as lopsided a postseason matchup as you're going to have just on paper statistically, and and I think that the Dodgers are going to come through. Another matchup that this one I think might be the best in the National League between the two seed Atlanta Braves and the Cincinnati Reds. And the Reds have struggled to hit the ball this year. They had a lot of expectations. They wanted to make the postseason, but they wanted to make it as a top seed. They failed to do that. They come in as the seven seed, but they have as good a trio as anybody. Maybe just trailing the the Reds trio, um, the Rays trio. I mean. And Trevor Bauer, who's an NL Cy Young candidate, they have Luis Castillo and Sonny Gray as well. Sonny so Gray. it's going to be tough for Atlanta to score. And that's been their – the big thing is that Atlanta has scored on everybody this year, one of the best offenses of baseball, I think, just behind the Dodgers. And you're not going to be able to score 10 runs a game against a starting staff that's that good. So can their pitching hold? Can Max Freed continue it? You know, and they, they lost Soroka early on, which is a big loss in this postseason yes. type of matchup where it's three straight days. Yeah. Cincinnati really might give them a run for their money. I picked the Braves to win, but Cincinnati is going to give them a run for their money. See, I'm going to say Cincinnati. Cincinnati in three, just because, you know, it's Max Frieder, that's it. That's it. If they don't win game one, they're in a lot of trouble because the Reds do have a great pitching staff for the first time in quite some time. And, yes, the offense did struggle. But when you have the com- – I mean, Trevor Bauer probably is the most confident pitcher in baseball. I remember when he faced the Astros, I think it was preseason, spring training – he threw a fastball and he goes, I'm throwing a fastball, threw a fastball, beat him. I mean, that confidence just, he's very outspoken, but I think when it comes to playoff time, he's going to, you know, get game, if he can win game one and help them go seven innings, shut out baseball. Again, it's tough to do against an Atlanta Braves team. I'm pretty sure they are second 
in the big leagues behind the New York Mets for the best batting average of baseball. Yes, the New York Mets, I forgot the number. It's definitely higher than 268. I think it's 275. The Mets had the best batting average in baseball this year. And they don't even make it, which is disgusting in itself given the fact that that, the Mets should have made it. Like, this is a team that should have made it. I know they had the injury woes with their starting pitching, but... We can't talk about that. Yeah, we don't have time. I, I don't want to piss off Mets fans, but I, it's just the same same story, different year. But, but I, I mean, yeah. you, before, I, before you finish, I do want to say this. I, I think that the Cincinnati Reds, right, they have the most intriguing collection of players. It's no, no stars up front. Uh, they got the rookie from last year, Aristides, whatever his name is. I can't even yeah. say it because it's a song twister. And then you have Trevor Bauer, who, like you said, is one of the biggest personalities in baseball, going at Rob Manfred. He wants him to come on his YouTube channel. He's posting YouTube videos today, the day before the game one of the, of the playoffs, right? So, I mean, I've never seen somebody this calm. And it, when you're the Braves, you've got to be looking at it and going, there is a very good chance. This is the one team they didn't want to play, right? It, yeah. They would hope that somebody else would drop down into this because you don't want to play a team that has three good starters. The same way if the Mets were to sneak in, the Dodgers wouldn't want to play them because game one, you have to face the ground. So you could immediately go down one, nothing. And then after that, it's, you know, a toss up. So definitely intriguing. I think it goes three. I, I want to give the Braves the benefit of the doubt in the third game, but like you said, you pick Cincinnati and I could very easily see that. I just don't trust the pitching. The Cincinnati starters have a 3.50 array. Atlanta starters with Max Fried just having an unreal season. It's a 5.51. Yes, the Cincinnati bullpen is not as good. 4.53 ERA compared to the Braves, 3.50. But, again, I just think the starting pitching is going to play such a crucial part. And we saw in the game, um, the Minnesota Astros game, both pitchers were out after, I think, five or six innings. Yep. There's no long leash. You have These are must-wins. And I think, yes, the starting pitchers is going to play a big role. But, yes, I have to rely on the bullpen. And it depends when the players are coming out. But I think if the Cincinnati Reds could get distance, and if they, if they light up Max Freed, the series is over. I, I believe so. I don't think that the Braves have an, I don't know who they're going to throw out there that is going to get the job done. Yes. They don't have Soroka with, that was a tough injury, right? That was, that was a knee on the mound. Yeah, he slipped that's, or he tore his Achilles. Yeah. Achilles. And um, that's such a tough blow because he's so young, but I mean, this Braves team is uh, Freddie Freeman. I'm a big fan of him. He's one of my favorite players in the league, just the way he goes about his business, but that's, that's a young, exciting Braves team. This should be a very fun series to watch. No question about it. But I do think uh, Reds in three. Yeah, I'm I would. I'm going to counter that with the Braves in three, but I definitely think it goes three games. This will be a fun one. Probably the most fun one outside of the San Diego Padres, St. Louis Cardinals, which we'll get to in a second. But first, the Chicago Cubs, who, despite having a rookie coach and a couple of down seasons in a row, come in at 34 and 26 as a three seed, and they get a favorable matchup in the Miami Marlins in the first round. On paper, the Cubs should do well. We saw the Marlins play the Yankees very tough in that last series, wanting to clinch a spot, and they did. And this is a team that wasn't expected to do anything in Miami. Uh, they were expected to be a bottom feeder yet again, but they acquired Starling Marte at the trade deadline. They have a lot of young pieces that are showing up. Their young arms and their pitching staff look very good. Uh, they have a 4.31 ERA, but there's a lot of bright spots in there. Their, their bullpen as a four, um, excuse me, they have a 5.50 ERA. So that's where they start to get sticky is that bullpen, that transition. The Cubs have a 3.77 ERA led by U Darvish. Their relievers are 4.38. So I don't know how tightly pitched this series will be. And I do think that the Chicago Cubs bats that have been there and done that will expose that Marlins bullpen, which will be the difference for me. And I'm taking the Cubs to win this one in two games. This is tough for me because 
The Marlins, are, you like rooting for underdogs. The Marlins are yep. such, you know, look at the roster when they came to the lineup, when they came to play the Yankees. And, I mean, we both follow baseball pretty closely. And I'm looking at this lineup going, who are these people? Like, who is Jeter pulling out of his back pocket? And one player who had a terrible regular season, he only had 56 at-bats, though. 161 batting average, two homers, six RBIs, two stolen bases. Chaz Chisholm, he is so – first off, excellent shortstop. He is – first off, his name's fun. He's from the Bahamas. He grew up playing baseball. Growing up in the Bahamas, he said it was amazing. They didn't play video games. They are outside playing baseball. It seemed like a great, fun thing. But the energy that he brings for a Miami team, which – you know, who's the leader of this Miami team? Is it Jesus Aguilar? Is it Derek Jeter? Because he's pretty much the one that's been trying to get this going. But you saw the way Jazz plays, and I think he just sets the tone for this Miami Marlins team that, you know, you have to respect them. What they did as shortened season, if it's a elongated season, do they have this much success? Who knows? But that's, it doesn't matter. They, there wasn't a longer season. They got in. They played very well, and they're pitching, I mean, their pitching is what it is. They don't really have any bona fide superstar pitchers. I mean, the last one they had was rest in peace to Jose Fernandez. And that was a tough pill to swallow for the franchise. And of course the baseball world, because he was, he was a superstar. Like you said, they acquire Marte. I really think this team has a chance to, to upset here. I'm going to say Marlins in three. I'm going to go with the bull prediction. I just, I think wow. it's very tough to go against a team that you don't know much about these players. I think when you know look at rookies, I mean, this guy's only got 56 at bats batting 161, but 56 at-bats is not a enough at-bats to determine what about that player you know. Um, you look at players, veterans, you know, all right, Stanton can't hit the low and away pitch. Mm-hmm. He stands 30,000 feet away from the plate. You don't really know much about Chaz or Jazz or the other guys on this roster because they're very young and they have, they have to prove themselves a little bit. But I think the playoffs, especially with how young they are getting there now, they're way ahead of schedule. I, I didn't see this coming at all, making a playoff even a playoff run, even making it to the playoffs. I thought they'd be at the bottom. I thought they'd be where the Mets were, quite frankly, like borderline possible coming down to the wire, but just just not good enough to get there. But they got there. And I do think the Cubs, you know, Cubs had a 220 batting average. The Marlins were a little better at 244. But, you know, I talk about the bullpen and pitching. Obviously, the Cubs have the advantage there. I think it's going to be another fun. A lot of these, you know, mat- matchups are going to be a ton of fun to watch. But I think for baseball and for the Marlins it's a great story if they find a way to beat the Cubs definitely and the the Miami Marlins are the first team to have 100 losses and then make the postseason the next year and people are go oh, it's only 60 games everyone only played 60 games so they still did that they still accomplished that and hats off to them Don Mattingly getting to the postseason and what we'll he's see he's done a great job do. he's he done really a great job and, and it's 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 funny because you think about Derek Jeter you go right he played with Don Mattingly towards the end and then you know it's he's under Derek Jeter, like Derek Jeter is his boss. I think it's so funny. Like obviously they're, they're definitely good friends. There's no animosity or anything between yep. these guys. They're young. Um, they, they've been known each other for quite some time, but Don Mattingly has done, I think a phenomenal job with the team he has. Like you look at Jeter, it's like, what is he doing? He's trading right all these people. They get rid of stands and they get rid of these pieces. They don't look like they hundred plus losses last year. Correct. So this didn't look like a team that was on the horizon of being a story in baseball. The Padres you expected. The White Sox, I think you did expect a little bit from them with the pieces they acquired and, you know, Jimenez breaking a Brayer great year. You never expected this from the Marlins, and that's what makes them a scary team to play in a playoff because there's so much unknown and no one thought it was going to happen. I agree. So you're going Marlins, I'm going Cubs. We have to go to commercial break, but the last one is the San Diego Padres and St. Louis Cardinals. Before you cut out, who are you taking, Stefan? 
Oh, um, who am I taking? Uh, Padres, St. Louis. I'm going to go Padres. I love their, just the way they play the game. I, I love everything about the Padres team. I love their pitching staff. Clevenger, adding Clevenger was such a key piece for them. I do like their offense. I think they are quietly a fantastic hitting team. They're batting 257, which, again, you look at these batting averages, it's not, they're not super high, but most teams aren't. Like that's like, 257 is a good batting average. hitting 95 homers. ERA 3.86, that's pretty solid this year. And I think that they're going to be, you know, St. Louis Cardinals aren't the St. Louis Cardinals from the past. They're aging. I mean, they have Paul Goldschmidt. They have Yadier Molina's aging, though. They don't have great starting pitching. I think the Padres will take this one. I'll say they take it in three games. All right. Well, I agree. I think the San Diego Padres are going to win this series. I, I just, I'm riding that hype train. They are so fun to watch. I don't know if Clevenger is going to be back for this series, but I think they still have enough young pitching to get it done in Paddock and Dilson Lamette. So I, I do think that the Padres will get past this round. They will wind up playing the Dodgers in the next round, which would be very interesting divisional rivals. But for me, San Diego in three. And I, I think that we wrapped it up. We're going to remember these predictions and we'll see come the end of the postseason how well we both did. After this, we are going to do our Yankees roundtable. We got three guests joining us. We're going to dive into this game one matchup with the, between the Yankees and the Cleveland Indians. So definitely you don't want to miss it. Listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed. And they're the stuff inside your stuff even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Dear John, I was hoping it wouldn't come to this, but you've left me no choice. I'm leaving. Uncontrolled high blood pressure is really serious, and lately you seem to really not care. I've been there for you since day one, and I know you think I'm going to keep ticking. But no, my friend, I can quit whenever I want. Why can't we get back to the good times, when we were more active and ate more healthy foods, and you checked on me every once in a while? Is that too much to ask? I don't want to leave. But unless you stop ignoring me, what else am I supposed to do? Remember, when I quit, you quit. Sincerely, your heart. Listen to your heart. Don't let it quit on you. Doing the minimum to control your high blood pressure isn't doing enough. High blood pressure can lead to a stroke, heart attack, or death. Get your blood pressure to a healthy range before it's too late. Find out how at heart.org slash blood pressure. Check, change, control. A message from the American Heart Association, the American Stroke Association, and the Ad Council. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm Jason Derulo. I love that music connects to people all over the country, but unfortunately, so does something else. Childhood hunger. 15 million kids struggle with hunger right here in America. And yet, every year, billions of pounds of surplus food in the U.S. go to waste instead of going to the children in need. Feeding America is working to change this. 
The Feeding America nationwide network of food banks rescues this surplus of food to help provide meals to families in virtually every community in the United States, including yours. But they just can't do this alone. Join me in the fight against hunger in America. For more information on what you can do to get involved, visit feedingamerica.org. That's feedingamerica.org. Together we can solve hunger. Together, we're feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. Hey everyone. You know, let's all stop what we're doing right now and take a moment. That felt good, huh? Just like that, we had a nice special sort of moment, together. Of course, they don't all need to be quiet moments to be special. They could be loud moments, goofy moments, sporty moments, dorky moments. Moments where we talk or walk or just hang out. It doesn't really matter. They all count. Because every time dads like us take a moment like that to spend with our kids, well, it's pretty momentous. <laughs> Sounds like somebody agrees. So let's take a moment to make a moment. Today, call 877-4DAD-411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Music is a bridge between the material and the spiritual. My name is Harvey Lauer, and I'm 82. As a blind person, you have to be aware that nobody can tell you what you can or can't do. You really have to try things. My folks got me a little radio in 1940, and that was the best Christmas present I ever got. When I was 11 years old is when I started to uh, play music, play the piano, and then the accordion, and then the cello. My wife, who was also blind, was a good cook. When she died, that's when I started Meals on Wheels. America, let's do lunch. One in six seniors faces the threat of hunger, and millions more live in isolation. Drop off a hot meal and say a quick hello. Volunteer for Meals on Wheels by donating your lunch break at americaletsdolunch.org. This message brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the BS Sports Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. All right, everybody, we are back with the BS Sports Show. Stefan and I are going to start talking about the New York Yankees and Cleveland Indians series. And in 15 minutes, we will be joined by Sean Ward. Jordan Rosner and TJ Rulo, our writers, our baseball writers for SMB Sports Talk. And, and we're going to have a good roundtable going. We're going to get a good conversation. Obviously, this is a huge series. I think that most of the baseball world will be watching at 7 o'clock, not for the two teams, not to see the Indians or Yankees win, but to see two of the best pitchers in baseball face off in Shane Bieber for the Cleveland Indians and Garrett Cole for the New York Yankees. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be a fun one for sure. We're all expecting seven-plus innings for both of them, shutout baseball, but that's usually not the case. I feel like whoever team can get to the other guy first is going to win this game just because, you know, they're coming. Garrett Cole has been great over his last couple of starts. Shane Bieber, I mean, 8-1, 1.63 ERA, 122 Ks. He's winning the Cy Young. It's not even up for debate. We talked about Maeda having a great season. Shane Bieber just went on an absolute tear. Oh, yeah. 
high velocity pitcher, nasty breaking stuff. And Brennan, we've talked about it before. That's been the Yankees toughest thing to do is find a way to hit those low and away pitches and not strike out. The Yankees strike out an enormous amount of time. I think they're at eight point something per game in strikeouts. And this guy, Bieber, I think is averaging 14. Yeah. His strikeout rate is crazy. It's the, the thing is though, is you want to be patient. Let's say the Yankees take pitches. The problem is he throws strikes. You know, you're taking the pitch. I mean, I already picture in my head, Aaron Hicks, um, left in the box, swinging on a pitch that's coming into his stomach just because it yep. got movement. I see Stanton swiffing at a low and away pitch like Chris Carter used to do in his short term. And I see Judge taking a strike three call because, you know, that's Aaron Judge and that's what we've seen recently. I think Cole's got a lot to prove. I think Cole has a lot more to prove than Bieber, given the fact that the Indians were solid this year, but they pretty much, they weren't a one-man show with Jose Ramirez, how good he's been. But they, that really was their team. And I think for the Yankees, obviously when they were hot, they were getting contributions from a lot of people. And I think the Yankees were expected to win. In a short season, they were going to dominate. They were going to win the AL East. They were going to see the Dodgers in the finals. And they were going to have to win because they've been, it's been way too long since they've won. And this is the team that they want to win with. Brian Cashman, when he, when he got Cole, said, I expect multiple championships. And the last thing that this Yankee team wants to see is Cole come in not play amazing and they lose in a first round in a best of three. That would just be demoralizing for a franchise. Obviously everyone hates the Yankees besides Yankee fans. So they're going to love that stuff. They're going to eat that up. But look at it. There's a lot of pressure for this Yankee team pressure that really they haven't been able to handle when it mattered the most this season. Well, there hasn't really been pressure this year just because of the fact that there's no fans. And I think that that would have been a driving force. And if I'm not mistaken, tonight is Shane Bieber's first career postseason start. So who knows, maybe he'll feel some of that pressure too. And like you said, the Yankees are going to strike out tonight. I fully expect them to strike out 10 times. The What's question the is, on that? What's the line on that? I don't know, but it's easily 10. It. Yeah. I think that they have to make the most out of the other 17 outs. And what we've seen is the Yankees be a very boomer bust offense, right? They're either scoring no, no one runs per game or they're scoring seven to 10 and they're destroying teams. I think tonight the situational hitting has to come through. And if it doesn't, you're not going to score off Bieber. It can't just be DJ, DJ LeMahieu and Gio Urshela getting the RBI singles, right? Aaron Judge is going to have to get a hit tonight. Giancarlo Stanton is going to have to get a hit tonight. It comes down to those two guys. Those are the two big names in your lineup, right? Yes, Luke Voigt's had a great year, but he has done it this year. He's done it in the absence of those two big names. Now in the postseason, your two big names are going to have to be the two guys that come through. The only way you win is if that happens. Garrett Cole has a 2.60 career postseason ERA. You know that you're going to get a good start from him tonight. If he gives up three runs, that's still a good start, right? You, you can't expect him to give, get a shutout right now. You got to get some run support for him. And tomorrow, you know that Tanaka is going to have a good start with his postseason career stats. So the offense is going to win or lose the series, not the pitching. And I will stand by that. And we're going to talk more about all that stuff when these guys come on. But Garrett Cole versus Shane Bieber, don't expect a lot of runs, but expect a lot of situational hitting to have to occur for either team to win. Yeah, and you look at it, it's tough because Yankees aren't at home. And they're not playing to their strengths. Obviously, they're built for that ballpark. And when you take them out of their element, you know, they haven't been great on the road. They've been better at home. Most teams are better at home. But you look at it and... For me, I agree with you. It's more on the offense. You have to have stellar defense. Your defense cannot have holes because as much as Gleyber Torres has had a stroke, struggled at the plate, he has since becoming a shortstop in Didi Gregorius' absence, it has been very alarming because he's, it's not even, he's not making the hard plays, which again, he's transitioning. He's going to have to learn how to make that at the MLB level, but it's a lack of, it looks lackadaisical and he's making those errors that 
Adidas Gorius would not make. You let him walk. And people that yep. are saying like, well, they should let LeMayu walk because that Torres could go back to second base. First off, you're going to let the guy that just won the AL batting title and the first player ever to win NL and AL, you're out of your, you're out of your mind. You're off your Torres rocker. Has to just, what? You're off your rocker. Torres just, the, the real, Torres just has to play better. Or, or he's in trouble of being a DH. I mean, it's, it's the, the, you could deal with the errors during the regular season because you get in. But in the playoffs, you know you're going to get from Gio Rochella. He's going to be brilliant. You know wherever DJ LeMayu plays, he's going to be brilliant. My concern is also the outfield. Aaron Hicks has looked shaky in the center field at times. I'm not saying he's – it obviously doesn't have that many errors. He's a very good outfielder, but at times, big moments. Brett Gardner gets to start in left field over Clint Frazier. I think that's a great move. Brett Gardner has been on fire. Clint Frazier has really struggled hitting into a lot of ground balls. Yep. Brett Gardner, again, he laid down a beautiful bunt the other day, but Gardner also has shown a, a lapse in defense at sometimes. And for a team that's struggled offensively, the last thing you could do is give away runs. It's one thing if they earn them. Make, but you have to make Cleveland earn their runs because, again, Lindor has not had a great season, but he could pop off in the playoffs. Jose Ramirez, you can't put guys on base for him because he'll come through more often than not. So I think the Yankees have to find a way. They can't go one, two, three in the first. And I think you brought it up earlier. LeMayu gets a hit or walks a start. He's always on base to start off. You can't have him on base and then they go out, out, out. Yep, you can't just have can't it. have that because it's not even the fact that you didn't get the run and that's fine. Demoralizing. Yep. You want to start hot. Take pitches. You know LeMayu is going to take pitches. You know they're going to try to work their count off because that's, that's how you have to beat people. You have to tire them out as early as possible because you know they're going to keep him in there as long as possible because he's that good. And if he's dominating, he's going to go, he can go seven, eight innings. And yes, Brad, Hand, Brad Hand has been great since he's come over as the closer. So I think if the Yankees, it's got to be early. They got to hit them, hit them hard, get some base hits, play small ball, stop. This is the time. The, I don't know who has to tell the Yankees that you can't, it's no more just, you cannot, you're not going to crush home runs off Bieber. It's just not going to happen. You're going to do that against terrible pitching. That's one thing. Kill them. You need situational hitting. You need to steal bases. You need to do hidden runs because the, the Yankees, over the last week or so, I've grounded into more dome plays than I can count. Mexico's aren't high, but it's been, it feels like every time they have a guy in first, they'll play to end the inning or bases loaded, two out, uh, an out, double play to end the inning. We're going to dive into those double yeah. play advanced stats yeah. later on. Uh, there, there's a couple of splits I want to get to you yeah. before our three guests come on. Like you mentioned, the Yankees are struggling on the road. They have a 379 win percentage on the road. They're 11 and 18 this year. So awful. Now, another interesting statistic is that in August and September, they were identical 14 and 13. Yeah. So this is a 500 baseball team that we've watched the last two months. Yeah. In seven inning games, they're four and seven. In nine inning games, they're 23 and 18. So they're better when it's a full game, right? And now you're going to have only full games. So I, I really wonder how they're going to play when it's a nine inning game. If they get to extra innings, it's, there's no runner on second base anymore. So that'll help them. It's going to be a unique experience because I've gone into the last couple of postseasons with the Yankees knowing how good they are, correct? Mm -hmm. Now you go in going, this is not a good baseball team. They're yeah. four and six in their last 10. They were getting destroyed by the Miami Marlins and Toronto Blue Jays, which cannot happen going into a playoff series. So now you're going to face one of the best pitching staffs in baseball. You're facing the best pitcher this year in baseball. Yep. Can you come through? And, uh, I mean, we're going to get into it again more with these guys, but it's got to be the big names that have to come through. And right now it doesn't seem like I have any confidence that Stanton, who's hit 115, 
over his last seven games could come through. I don't have any confidence that Judge will come through because, to me, his statistics lie a lot. And, and I, I understand that he gets these base hits, but does he get them with runners on base? He has to this postseason. And will Glaber Torres wake up? Will Sanchez wake up? Will Higashioka keep Sanchez on the bench tonight? I, I mean, there's so many variables to this team. And if everything clicks, though, they become the World Series favorites. It, it, that's, that's the biggest thing. I don't think that Judge and Stanton got enough at-bats coming back. And I also, you know, the, the officiating the last couple of games for the Yankees was terrible. But you can't, you know, you have so many opportunities to score that, it, you know, Boone gets ejected arguing a Judge strike call, which was, oh. There was the worst strike call I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, it's not even close. And the fact that it, it's inevitable that we're going to have electronic strike zones because that's a big game. Yes, both teams are in the playoffs. That is a huge game for trying to get home field or whatever the case may be. So I think that Judge, the thing is, Judge gets those low strike calls and he doesn't argue it. So if you're not going to argue it, you have to swing at it. You know what's coming. You know what's going to call. Uppercut that that pitch and drive it. Judge has not really driven any ball since coming back. Stanton has a little bit, but that's just his swing. You strike out or nothing. But I think in the playoffs, if those two guys, those two guys can get off to a hot start, Yankees are in a good spot. The problem is the odds of that happening are, are very slim. So we have two guys already in the waiting room. I'll admit both of them and we'll wait for the third and we'll just do it. Hold on one second. All right. We got Sean in the bottom left, Sean Ward and Jordan Rosner in the bottom right. We are waiting for one more, but how you guys doing, man? What's going on, Seth? How's it going? It's going, it's going good. Uh, you know, Yankees baseball. I mean, we've been hockey ended, so it's time to talk baseball. Jordan, how are you doing? Doing well, getting excited for game one. Nervous because, you know, Beaver is Beaver, but, you know, we're getting ready. Yeah, so. Just, I think the Yankees fans are more amped up than the Yankees are. I mean, <laughs> I mean, we sure hope that they show up, but we are waiting for one more, but we'll begin uh, while we wait. So, first off, Garrett Cole. You know, we have a Met fan on the bottom left. We have a Yankee fan on the bottom right, but everybody knows how good Garrett Cole can be. He was shaky during the season, but what do you have to see? From Garrett Cole, we'll start with Jordan. What do you have to see from Garrett Cole tonight to prove that, okay, this is a guy that can really help this team win a championship? Well, I think the thing with Garrett Cole is that last season, he was the greatest pitcher on the planet. This season, that title is now on his opponent, Shane Bieber. So I think what Garrett Cole really has to do is, A, try to channel his season from last year and the second half of the season he had this year where he was as dominant as he usually is. And B, also not be phased by the matchup. I mean, the Indians, Shane Bieber is great, but they're pitching, honestly, it's Lindor, Ramirez, and company. So if he gets past those two big bats that are hot, I think he can really take advantage of this, this matchup in a way that Bieber can't against, you know, a murderer's row in the Yankees, if you will. Uh, Sean, what are your takes on that? Yeah, uh, I agree with Jordan when he said you got to get past Lindor and Ramirez and then, and then company. Uh, those are the two threats in the middle of the lineup there take care of those guys. Uh, Cole, Cole should be able to handle the rest. Um, I think he's just got to be able to get deep in this game. If he goes deep, I think that'll really help the Yankees out for the rest of this, the rest of this game and the rest of the series. In four starts in September, he went at least six innings, allowing one earned run or fewer. So, I mean, TJ, we'll get your take. Thanks for joining us. TJ Rulo, the bottom of the screen. I see you're wearing an Indians jersey. Is that a Lindor jersey? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Uh, you're dead we're, we're, unbi we're unbiased. <laughs> we're on but TJ, though, obviously you've been covering a few um, articles about MLB as a whole. 
Garrett Cole, Bieber, you know, what are your expectations tonight? You think it's going to be seven innings for both of them, low run scoring, or you think early on one of them is going to get hit and it'll decide the series pretty much? I think it's going to be, I think it's going to go as advertised. Uh, two things most of interest to me. Um, in terms of Cole, he's been uh, hit by the long ball, giving up, I think he's third most home runs allowed in baseball this year. But the Indians are 26th, yeah, 27th in home runs. So it's going to be tough. I mean, if it's not going to come from Ramirez, uh, Framil Reyes, Lindor, if, if they're going to have to score against him with multiple hits, uh, I can't see them scoring more than one or two runs. And then and then with Bieber from watching him, he's really, really good at painting the outside corner against righties. But we've seen it with LeMahieu and Voigt. And then a healthy Stanton and Judge are really good at this too. They'll take that outside pitch and they'll just go to right field with it. And that works That works at Yankee Stadium a lot. But obviously, um, playing at Progressive, we'll see how that plays too. Yeah, me, Brian, I mean, yeah, I'll get your take on this before, but we talked about that, how the Yankees are not at Yankee Stadium. They could try to play that way, but – it's really different when you have the short porch there and that's how you score runs. So, Brennan, what are mm -hmm. your takes? What do you think about Garrett Cole tonight? Well, Garrett Cole, I think, if he goes seven innings, right, and matches Shane Bieber stride for stride, say it's 0-0-1-1 after seven, you have to like the Yankees' chances with the bullpen that they have if Adovino doesn't pitch because we'll get into that in a little bit. I think Adovino is an absolute bump coming out of the bullpen. <laughs> but the Yankees strike out 21.7% of the time. Doesn't bode well against Shane Bieber. But the Indians strike out 23% of the time. So it doesn't bode well against Garrett Cole. So I really think that like what TJ said is accurate. You're going to see as advertised tonight, these two pitchers go at it. And the right field not being at Yankee Stadium does hurt the Yankees a little bit. But the Indians don't have that much power either. So I like the Yankees' chances to hit a couple more home runs, have a couple more doubles now down that right field line, which for DJ LeMahieu, it, it could wind up working. Aaron Hicks likes going to right field down the line as well. So he may be a couple of triples. We saw him hit one last week. Uh, I think that the Yankees are going to have to manufacture a couple of runs tonight and they could still pick right field apart, even though there's no short porch there. Urshela too is another guy that goes pretty much wherever the pitch goes. And that's why he's been so brilliant with the Yankees. And he comes home, he played for Cleveland for him. This is uh, redemption time. This team Cleveland didn't really give him much of a chance and we'll see if he does damage tonight, but moving on the Yankees announced that Gardner will start in left field over Clint Frazier. And while Clint Frazier, I'll just read the stats. 267 batting average, eight homers, 26 RBIs, only one error. But his last seven games, he's batting 167. For Gardner, reverse. 223 batting average this year, five homers, 15 RBIs, four errors, which is pretty alarming for a guy that's always been a defensive weapon. Last seven games, he's batting 368. What do you guys think of the decision? Because it's tough. You see Clint Frazier, have, he pretty much does everything the Yankees have asked. He worked religiously on his defense and has become – more than serviceable. I would trust him in a big moment, but do you think it was the right decision to go with Gardner? And do you think maybe we'll see Clint Frazier later on in the game as a pinch hitter? We'll start with Jordan. I think this debate for me really comes down to Brett Gardner's presence on this team. Um, he's a veteran leader. He's a guy that gets them all fired up. And especially because A, they're not a Yankee stadium and B, there's no fans. This Yankees team needs to get going somehow. And I think Brett Gardner in that lineup really does that for them. Um, and especially in the last eight games, I mean, Aaron Boone, his questions are, his decisions are questionable, but I really do think that this one makes sense and playing the hot hand, playing the guy that we need hits against Shane Bieber any way we can. And the guy that's getting hits right now is Gardner over Frazier. So I think we could see Frazier pinch hit. Um, he has the tendency to be clutch. We've seen it before, but I think starting Gardner was the right call. Sean, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I agree. I definitely think going with Gardner right in the hot hand is the move right now. 
I think if it was reversed and Frazier was hot, Boone would go with Frazier. But since it's not, he's going to go with the experienced guy, the hot hand. I do think we'll see Frazier in this game at some point. Definitely to pinch hit, though. So I would keep an eye out for that. TJ, we'll get to you. Yeah, I think it, I think he probably could have went either way. Uh, Gardner was definitely the better hitter in September. And like you said, Frazier's gotten good enough defensively where they're kind of uh, interchangeable when you're assessing defense. So uh, I agree with Jordan there. When all else is equal, uh, you just go with the guy who's been there before, uh, like Gardner. Um, yeah, I thought it was interesting, though, because uh, Cleveland's going to be starting a righty each game one, game two, game three. So if this is, gonna, if this is how they're going to play game one, Frazier might not start a game uh, this series. That's a good point. Brendan, we'll get to you. Yeah, I think that the lefty-righty matchup pertains more to Bieber just because of how nasty he is against right-handed batters. So uh, I do think that Frazier will come out in game two. But, I mean, if courtesy of Bronx Bomber News, our buddy, we've had him on here a couple of times. Gardner's 385, 10 for his last 26. Clint Frazier's batting .050, one for his last 20. So when you even get it into smaller, more direct numbers, it's the right move to give Gardner the, the appearance tonight. And, you know, maybe it'll piss off Frazier a little bit, right? You go, oh, God, I named the starter. They finally put me in the lineup every day. Now I'm not starting game one of the playoffs. Maybe he comes back in game two and has a three for three, three for four night and goes, I'm going to solidify myself in this lineup. I mean, that, I mean, it's really hard to justify sitting him just because he's really done everything you've asked after a few years of – it seemed like the Yankees didn't want anything to do with this guy. And now he, he played well. It's just – it's what have you done for me lately? And lately he hasn't done much. But I'll throw something out here for you guys and we can talk about it. Joel Sherman, and he said this today on MLB Network. He said this a couple of days ago. If he was managing, he would not put Stanton in this lineup. What do you guys think about that? as a decision, obviously a healthy Stanton's going to play. He said that. He said Boone has to start a healthy Stanton, but if it was him, he didn't like what he saw coming back from the IL, and he thinks that you have better options. What do you guys think about maybe having Frazier play instead of a Stanton, like as a DH role? Uh, I think – Yeah, TJ. Yeah, I think maybe if there's a sense of urgency, maybe they, if they lose game one, you need to just ride uh, a hot bat. But I just think the ceiling's too high with Stanton, similar to Judge. Judge hasn't been Judge since coming back from injury, but you just can't uh, ignore the ceiling that they have when they're in the lineup. Jordan, we'll go to you. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that if you have a healthy Stanton, you play a healthy Stanton. I mean, this is the guy that we're paying an astronomical amount of money to play. Most of the time it's been for him to sit on the IL, but now he's back. We got to trust our big guys in the middle of that lineup to produce. And by sitting Stanton in and putting Frazier in, I think we're just going against what our payroll says. I mean, we're paying, you know, paying Garrett Cole to play in these games. We're paying Stan to play in these games too. So I think that if we are to see Frazier come in, I do think it could be for Stanton. You know, Stanton's struck out three times against Bieber. I think Frazier could come in maybe for him instead of Gardner. But I think that if you have Stanton, you go with him until he's so bad that you can't play him anymore. Or he gets hurt. Or, you know, or he gets hurt. I mean, we've seen that enough. I mean, it's not out of the question that Stanton could get hurt in a three game. I mean, the most 2020 thing would be for all the Yankees to get hurt and pull their groin on their way to first base, somehow walking against Bieber, who's probably going to strike out more than half the batters he faces tonight. But well, we'll move on to another big thing is Higashioka gets the game one start at catcher for Garrett Cole. And I'll just throw some numbers out there. Uh, four games for Cole, 1.00 ERA, 34Ks, 27 innings pitched with Higashioka. Eight games, 46 innings pitched, 3.91 ERA, 60Ks with Sanchez. Higgy's batting 250, four homers, 10 RBIs. When you say he's not in there for his bat just because he's a better defensive catcher and 
the fact that Sanchez, how many catcher interferences has he had over the last like two weeks? It's been it's been terrible. But also Agashioka is hitting. Not to the extent that you 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 know, two fifty, he hasn't had that many opportunities, but Sanchez has been so bad. Is this a make or break for Sanchez in this what could be a three game series? Because clearly if the best pitcher on this team is electing to go with Higashioka. That's not a huge problem because, you know, they have preferences. But what do you think you have to see from Sanchez if he does get an opportunity? Because I think he'll catch Tanaka tomorrow. But he's slowly losing his spot on this team as a starter. So we'll go with Brendan first. Well, you know how I feel about Gary Sanchez, right? (laughs) I mean, I just can't stand him. And now you add the catcher's interferences to the whole equation. He's trying to get too close to the plate. I I think that Higashioka has a chance tonight to solidify himself as a catcher, not only for Garrett Cole, but maybe for a game two, if he has a good game. And I think that in the other situation, Sanchez has an opportunity if Higashioka struggles to say, this is my team. Let me be the catcher every day. And he looked a little bit better as of late, even that bases loaded pinch hit. He flew out to the wall. Like I, that was the hardest to pull of the inning and an 880, I think expected batting average it had. And of course that's just the type of year he had where it doesn't fall. So I hope that he can bring that type of bat. We've seen how explosive he can be in a short period of time, but this season just doesn't look like he has any interest in playing, let alone being an explosive bat at the catcher spot or good defensively. So if Higashioka can do his job today and Sanchez struggles tomorrow and there somehow is a game three, I wouldn't be surprised if Higashioka winds up playing in that game three also. Sean, what do you think about this? Yeah, uh, Brendan pretty much summed it up there. I think it's a Sanchez has to produce or else Higgy's going to take the job from him uh, moving forward. If the Yankees win this series and Sanchez struggles tomorrow, if he does catch Tanaka, um, Higgy's going to be the starter from here on out, it looks like. So he really does have to step up offensively and defensively. Jordan? I think one interesting thing to point out is I believe when Garrett Cole was on the Astros, he also had a personal catcher. I think it was Martin Maldonado. And the Yankees were going to try to go after him this offseason as well to see if, you know, that personal catch thing could work out. So Gary Sanchez, he's clearly losing his footing. I don't know if I'd hit the red flags quite yet. I think this might be a case of Garrett Cole really likes Kylie Yoshioka. And if that's who he's working with and gelling with, you're going to need him to be at his best in game one. Higgy's bat has come alive a little bit, which is good. But I think for me, Sanchez still has this job until it gets even worse than it is. I don't know how that could happen, but, you know, it gets worse than it is. Before we get to TJ on this matter, I'm pretty sure – did Sabathia pitch to Romine all the time? I, I don't know the stats on that, but I definitely know someone liked Romine a lot better when he was on the team. And obviously, Romine – this is the catcher they really needed this year. They needed a defensive catcher that came in through the clutch and let Romine walk. And now you see – the Yankees, if Sanchez does not come through and Agashioka struggles, they don't have to go out there and get a JT Real Muto. Let the, let the, Met fan, let the Mets get them. Let, let, them, let them have something. I know TJ is bobbing his head like, yes, please. But you look at it and it's, they need a defensive catcher. They don't need the offense from the catcher position. Their offense, they have a good offense. It's they need the defensive catching that neither Sanchez could provide. And Agashioka does a better job. But, you know, TJ, what do you think about Gary Sanchez and what he has to do this series? Uh, I mean, he just has to hit when he gets the, uh, when he gets the opportunity. I think um, as far as Higgy goes, um, their lineup is deep enough where if their star pitcher wants to throw to, he should throw to whoever he wants to throw to. And they have the premium to be able to value defense and anything that he does at the plate is a plus. Um, as far as long-term goes, I, I still feel like Gary's the guy. Um, he's shown like that his ceiling so high as a catcher. But in this season, it's just recency. What have you done for me lately? So if all goes well, he could see his playing time drop a little bit in the playoffs. 
Yeah, so I mean, before we move yeah. on, though, we're talking about we got Eric Kratz on this roster who's batting 321 with the higher OPS than both Sanchez and Higashioka. Let the 40 year old play. What, what are you going to get worse catcher play than, than Gary Sanchez? No, he's batting yeah. once 140. You're good defensive catch. Uh, yeah, if Debbie gets a start for game three, which we're going to talk about in a second, Kratz loves the kid. And so we're, you're telling me that they have four starters, two of which require a personal catcher? That is not a good look for Gary Sanchez. It's <laughs> just not. That's well, I mean, 50% of their rotation. I mean, Debbie wants to pitch to his dad. You're going to say no? You think Boone's going to say no to that? It's a father-son catch. Yeah, I mean, you're going to take that away. That's a, that's a huge one. Imagine Debbie Garcia, which we'll, we'll get to you guys right now. Debbie Garcia, it's between Garcia and Hap. Garcia, 3-2, 4.98 ERA, has allowed 10 in runs in his last 9.2 innings pitch. He's a young guy trying to figure out, was it expected for him to, you know, not do great? It's wishy-washy. He didn't get really run support. He struggled. His breaking balls weren't really breaking. But look at Hap, 2-2, two two, 3.47 ERA, his last 24.1 innings pitched. Six earned runs, 27 Ks, five walks. Against Cleveland, he is 3-2 with a 4.19 ERA in his career. All right, guys, I'm going to ask the question. If this goes to three games, I'm going to say my take right now, it's going to be half, just because I'd rather take the veteran guy who has shown that he can do it rather than a guy that Debbie Garcia has really struggled his last couple of starts in a do-or-die situation. But we'll go to Brendan first. Debbie Garcia or veteran Jay, uh, Jay Hap? Hap. Too, too, much, too much experience there. And Debbie Garcia is going to be an integral part of this rotation for a long time. But right now, go with the veteran that's been – he, once they skipped his start, he's been another another pitcher. He's been the type of pitcher they got at the deadline. So let him let him start. Uh, we'll go to Jordan. Uh, I mean, I give him a fair share of trash because I've been frustrated with him. But, I mean, it, with the rookie pitchers, with King and Garcia, they're very unpredictable. I mean, I told you, Stefan, it feels like whenever King steps on the mound, he lets up a run. And I don't want to have that to happen with Garcia when he has pressure in the playoffs. So I'm going to go with Hap. Sweat, do you say Hap? Sean, I mean, do you say um, Hap as well? Yeah, Hap as well, of course. All right, TJ, um, you say Hap too? Yeah, I'll clean up the votes with Hap. He had two bad starts to th start the season, and he's been really, really good since. I think I feel like it's America's Got Talent, where it's like, all right, what's your vote? Yes, yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, though, it might not go through games. The Yankees have to mm -hmm. take care of business in game one at least. They have to get it. If they can win against Bieber, I'm very confident. The problem is if they can't, I mean, I'm still confident because Tanaka's been great in the postseason, but – Again, it's different when it's only three games instead of best of five, where you lose the first game, your back's against the wall, and there's a ton of pressure. And, you know, we'll see what happens. Brendan, do you have something you wanted to say? I mean, no, but Blake <laughs> Snell is throwing a no-hitter right now through five. Yeah, that's well, that's the Tim Bay Rays for you. You know what you're going to get, especially if the Yankees could beat Cleveland in the first round. They're going to have to continue whatever they do in that round to beat because – it's not going to be a joke. The Yankees aren't going to win. Like they dominated some teams this year where they're killing people like 30, 20 something runs per game. It's just not going to happen in the playoffs. You know, that just doesn't matter what pitcher is pitching. Even if it's not a Bieber type pitcher, if it's a third mediocre pitcher, even if it was a Rick Porcello in the playoffs, I don't see you're scoring seven, eight runs on the guy. It's shut down baseball. Everyone plays a lot tighter. Moving on though, Sessa or Adovino? Luis Sessa on the year, 3.32 ERA. 21 and two-thirds inning pitch, 17 Ks. Obviously, more contact, trying to get the outs. We have Adovino, two and three, 5.89 ERA, 18-1 innings pitch, 25 Ks. We know how brilliant his movement is on his pitches for Adovino, but we've seen him struggle in the playoffs in a big moment in a game. you trusting Luis Sessa, a guy that's gotten shelled from Yankee fans, but he hasn't really been that bad. 
Or are you going with a guy out of Vino who in the past has proven how good he can be? He just has been struggling. Uh, we'll go to Jordan. Is there a none of the above option? Um, no, but honestly, Sessa for me has been a, a more of a long inning relief guy. I mean, they've started him a few times and plugging him into a high leverage situation. It's just hard for me to imagine. Adovino is a guy that, again, we paid him to play in these situations as well, but he hasn't been showing it. So my honest answer, none of the above, try to find someone else. Maybe Zach Britton, bring him in when you need him because playoffs, but if I have to choose between these two, I guess I got to go Sessa. Uh, TJ? I think my honest answer would just be it depends. Um, I wouldn't necessarily trust Adovino with, a clean, uh, with runners on base, but in a clean inning, I think I'd have to give him the ball. Um, what's kind of interesting is that he's obviously his ERA is almost was it like four runs higher than it was last year. But uh, a lot of his underlines are still pretty similar. He's just getting very unlucky with balls in play. But obviously, he's always been a high walks guy. So I feel like he's, if he's coming in with a situation of guys on base, it can implode quickly. Sean, where do you feel on this? Uh, I would go Sessa. I think Odovito is just struggling too much right now. Uh, to trust him. I don't think you trust Sessa either, but I think out of the two options, he's just, uh, he can go deeper in the games too. I don't think you would trust Adovino to go more than one inning. Um, you could have Sessa go multiple innings if you need, if you need him to. So I would go Sessa. And Brendan? Sessa last year when he pitched looked like the, the moment didn't get to him. I do think it depends is the correct answer because that's what they'll go by. I also think that Jonathan Loisega has more leverage than both of these guys so far because they like his stuff that much. So I don't know who you see. I can't, I can't envision out of Vino coming into a close game right now, the way he's pitched this year, the way he pitched last postseason where he got, he was their worst reliever last year in the postseason as well. So it's kind of continued into this year. And I think that there's no faith left. They've, they've given him blowout games to come in and get his stuff right. And he hasn't been able to. So I think you'll see him maybe earlier than you normally would. And I think that Sessa may actually come in after him, but to me, it goes Chapman in the ninth, Britain in the eighth, Green in the seventh, and the wise again, the sixth. Speaking of Chapman, obviously we know how last year ended. Did I put the blame on him? No, because obviously the Astros cheated, the whole Altuve BS, uh, no pun intended. But um, <laughs> you look at it and it's, you know, Roldis Chapman, I don't think he's the same pitcher he was a couple of years ago. I still think he brings the heat that's great. Sometimes his control, though, he loves to have guys on base, it seems like. Every, it's never a one, two, three clean inning on the year. A one-on-one record, 3.09 ERA in 11.2 innings pitch that he does have 22 Ks and a .86 whip. So his whip's very good for a guy that you feel like he always has a guy on, but clearly .86 is not as bad as we think. How much faith do you have in him? Because we talked about the Dodgers earlier, and Kenley Jansen's a huge story if when he gets the ball, does he? because he falls under pressure more times than not in the playoffs for the Dodgers. And I think for Chapman, physically no Tom Canley, and obviously that's not a make or break for this Yankee team. But it's a big piece missing, but when Chapman comes in in the big moment, we have faith that he'll get it done as one of the best closers in the game. We'll go with TJ to start. I'll say yes, and I'll just start, preface it by saying I feel like every um, team will, like, undersell their closer. Like, Jansen, obviously, when he blows a save, everyone knows about it, but he's really good, and Chapman's really good, too. I definitely trust him on any situation. So, uh, Sean, same thing? Uh, yeah, I would say you trust him more than most guys going out there in the ninth inning. Um, so, yeah, I, I would definitely say yes. Jordan, you trust him as well? Yeah, I trust him. He's, 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 he's proven to us that he can do it. Last season, that Altuve home run will live with us forever, but I still trust him. 
Yeah, that was that was shocking, Brendan. Though you trust Chapman because I know you've had some I, words for him. So I, I have beef with everybody on this team because I'm, <laughs> I just I'm so passionate. But at the same time, I I think that last week I wouldn't have said as confidently yes as I will now. He got about four or five days off between appearances, and he came out topping at 96 the first start, and then five days later he was at 101, 102, and since that point he's looked almost unhittable. I think he's had 10 straight appearances with at least two plus strikeouts. Uh, he ties a record for the Yankees uh, relievers with that. And he's looked very good those last three appearances. And he looks like he's on the right track. And this might be the most rested he's ever been going into a postseason. Also, remember with the Cubs when they won the World Series, he was pitching two to three innings at a time. And he was absolutely gassed. Right now, he's had a lot of days off. He missed the first part of the season. Uh, I think that a fresh Chapman in the ninth inning, yes, I, I trust him a lot right now. And with how up and down the Yankees were, he didn't really get a, a ton of opportunities to come in and save close games. And that's the one thing I would say is because the Yankees didn't win a lot of close games. They had their blue teams out or got blown out. And when you do that, you know, that's not, you're not playing playoff baseball. If you would, I would be more confident in this Yankee team. Let's say they had the same exact record they had, but their wins were like a ton of one run games. It's like, all right, you're made for the playoffs and you're not blowing teams out. That's exactly after the play. The fact that we saw the Yankees blow teams out or get blown out is troublesome because they didn't have to come through with that big hit. I mean, obviously, they didn't come through at all when they were getting shelled. But in a big moment in a tight game, we didn't see a lot of action like that. And that's the one thing that worries me because in the playoffs, you can't rely on the home run ball. Two more questions, guys, before we let you go. The next one is, for this Yankee team, if you could pick one player to be the make or break, and obviously the, the obvious hampers are as judge, stands, but one player, either pitching, relief, um, bench player, any player, what's the one guy that you want to see – take this series by storm and help this team move on. We'll start with TJ. Um, off the top of my head, I'll just say Tanaka because we're all hyping up the game one pitching matchup. But obviously game two is going to be obviously just as important. And we've seen Tanaka have really good starts in the playoffs. If playoff Tanaka is there tomorrow, uh, that's huge. Uh, uh, I'm going to go with Chapman. We just talked about him. Um, I think it's really important. I think they're going to be a lot of close games in this series. And since it's only a three-game series, I think he's going to be used in all three games. So I think uh, it's really important for him to get the job done in the ninth. Jordan? I'd pick – I'm going to pick DJ LeMahieu. Uh, we, know, we know what he can do at Yankee Stadium. He abuses that short porch. But when you look at his stats home versus away, it's, it's, I mean, it's not concerning, but it's different. He has an OPS over 1,000 at home. On the road, it's 724. So they're going to need him as their leadoff guy to get those consistent hits. And if he's unable to, then this offense is going to flop. So DJ LeMahieu. Brendan. Um, sticking, we talked about it before they came on. I think that in order for the Yankees to win at all this postseason, Stanton's going to have to wake up and figure it out. He's the most expensive DH in baseball. And if Joel Sherman had his way, he'd be the most expensive bench player of all time. So I think that 115 over your last seven is not good enough. And if they have any chance at scoring, off Shane Bieber tonight or throughout this postseason, however far they go, him and Judge, but mainly Stanton is going to have to finally get off the IL and do something for this team. So I'm going to pick Labor Tours because he has just been pitiful in the field. He has never gotten into a groove yet. And while that's worrisome because they need him to be the shortstop that he was projected to be, this guy that could play the field, hit. He has a career 302 batting average in the playoffs. Last year he batted 324. For a guy that hasn't done much all year for this team, this would be a perfect opportunity to step up. We saw what D.D. Gregorius did against the Twins a couple of years ago and his, you know, ability in the playoffs. And as much as D.D. had to go because you had to move Torres to short with LeMayu at second, Torres now has to prove that that wasn't a mistake. And so far this season, it's 
I mean, Didier Gregorius, they missed him. They missed his uh, defensive play. They missed his clutch hits. Now you got to see Torres. Torres is a superstar. He's got to be the superstar that they think he's going to be, that he should be. And if he doesn't come through and struggle as mightily, that leaves a lot more questions than answers for this Yankee club. I'm not sure how you guys feel about that, but Brendan, I'll throw it to you about Torres. I think that Torres struggled with injury this year. I don't know if he's fully healthy, and I, I think that's played a part. And that transition also, uh, having defensive woes weighs on your head. And you try not to bring your defense to your offense, but this year he hasn't been able to because it's been so magnified by the media. Uh, he's got to get off to a good start. I think if he can go through a couple of clean innings before his first at bat, make good plays on the field, at least have one ground ball, like an easy ground ball to him, make the play and then get a base hit, you're going to see the confidence slowly start to rise. And he's fully protected tonight. So he's got his, he's going to get his pitches in the lineup. And uh, they need him to be an impact player because we saw last year how good he was. And he's got to continue that this postseason. All right, last question for you guys. Aaron Boone gets a lot of heat for the questionable calls he makes. And now it's a best of, I mean, you have to win two out of three. That's it. Boone's made weird decisions with taking starting pitches out, you know, who he puts in, everything that he's done. We'll start with you, Brendan. Is this a trial run for Boone for next year? If he, you know, we saw Girardi a couple years ago against these Cleveland Indians. He missed, he didn't challenge a call. They win the series, but it did lead to him not being brought back. I'm assuming Boone's job is safe given the fact that he, they struggle with injuries and all that kind of stuff. But is Boone on a hot seat if the Yankees can't get it done in this series? He should be on the hot seat right now because this team's way too talented to be a fifth seed. Uh, I think that, they, yeah, they had injuries, but they had injuries last year too. There was, it didn't seem like anybody had a desire, and that stems from the manager. He's, always, he's like the Jason Garrett type-esque where he's always clapping his hands saying everything's okay. It's not okay. you got to be able to wake people up. And the talent that he's had around his team, that's why he's had 200 win seasons in a row the last two years. It's because of how good they are, not because he's a good coach. So I think he should be on the hot seat. And if they get swept in two games, I really don't think he should be coming back. I think that anybody could do that job that he's done. You need to find somebody that can motivate, like a Buck Showalter. Jordan, we'll free agent. Yes, Jordan, we'll go to you. Uh, I agree. I think that I – trash Aaron Boone a lot he makes a lot of questionable decisions it seems like whenever a guy gets on a hot streak he sits him I don't know why but that's what it seems to be I'm surprised he even made the right call to play Gardner today over Frazier but I mean Joe Girardi they have different magic styles Girardi was the old style manager he got in his players faces but I think the Yankees need that they need a guy to cheer him up and not like the Jason Garrett clapping whenever you know we make a nice little play so I think that Aaron Boone's job is on the line. If they fall to this Indian team that was rebuilding before Ramirez and Lindor woke up, I think that his job is definitely in question. And Sean, we'll end it with you. Yeah, uh, for sure. I definitely think he would be on the hot seat. Uh, like Brenton said, this team is way too good for to lose this series. Uh, they're way too good of a team. Uh, he's underperformed. He's made questionable moves in the bullpen, in the lineup. Uh, tonight he's betting Hicks third, but I think is a little bit questionable. Um, so I think I think he's definitely could be on the hot seat after the series if they do lose. TJ, my apologies. I want to hear your take as well. Yeah, I'd first like to say that Aaron Boone leads the league in complimenting the other team while he gets ejected. <laughs> but uh, I think when we came into this season uh, in February and March, it was the Dodgers and the Yankees, and one team has held up their end of the bargain. So this team's too good to – not make it to the World Series. Um, so I think he could definitely enter Hasi territory next year if, if they don't go far. So we want to thank all of you guys for joining us. It was a lot of fun. This is the writers for sbsportstalk.com. You guys do a phenomenal job. We appreciate you guys coming on and talking. Thank and you, boys. 
definitely go enjoy. Obviously, the Mets fans go. Hopefully, you think that the Yankees get shelled tonight. As the Yankees fans, go enjoy the game, and um, we'll talk to you guys later on. So, thanks, guys, again. We really appreciate it. Yes, thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, Steph. See you guys. So, I will remove that. All right, that was that was a ton of fun. We're gonna to go to a quick commercial break, and Brendan, you can yep. take us to that commercial break. Yeah. So, uh, for you Rangers fans that are still listening, apparently Lundqvist will be bought out tomorrow. So we'll talk more about that when we come back from the commercial break. But tomorrow definitely seems like it will be a sad day for New York Rangers fans. So we'll get to that, and we'll finish off with a good five minutes. So stay tuned. Ranger Station, Ranger speaking. Hi, um, I'd like to report a bear hug. Uh-huh, okay. Well, we were building a bonfire, and I, I saw some, like, dry brush and leaves around, so, you know, I, I said to move the bonfire somewhere else, and out of nowhere, Smokey Bear shows up and hugs me. So you noticed some wildfire hazards and moved your bonfire to a safer location. Yeah. Yeah, that's Smokey, all right. He likes it when people help prevent wildfires. It hits him close to home. Not everybody gets the hug, my friend. So that's pretty special to get a hug from Smokey Bear. Huh, so it was him. Hey, guys, I told you it was Smokey. Okay, well, congratulations, my friend. And thanks for calling. There are many ways to prevent a wildfire. Learn how you can do your part at SmokeyBear.com. Only you can prevent wildfires. Sponsored by the U.S. Forest Service, Ad Council, and your state forester. Hope you enjoyed your meal. And I just want to say, he's lucky to have a brother like you. Lucky? Caring for my brother is far from easy. Waking up every day, lifting him from the bed to the wheelchair to the car to get him to therapy on time. It's no small task between the doctors and the diagnosis, but nothing can disable this love. This is my big brother, my hero. He's part of me, like my arms and legs. So I'll be his. <laughs> See, there's no time for tired. This starts again tomorrow. He'll be waiting for me. I'll wake up for him. I know he needs me, but I'm the lucky one. Even though I need help now and then. If you're caring for a loved one, visit aarp.org caregiving for care guides and community. Or call 877-333-5885. Caregiving Resource Center. Support for your strength. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. People been saying to your friend, get a different face, and posting on their feed, they're super ugly. The things they say to them online are cruel and they're not true. So tell your friend, I'll stand up for you. Know someone who's being bullied online? Send the witness emoji. It looks like an eye in a speech bubble, and it's in the symbol section near the clocks in your phone. You'll let the world know it isn't cool, and you'll let your friend know you care. Learn more about the witness emoji at eyewitnessbullying.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. 
It may be hard to believe, but people just like you are already saving money. FeedThePig.org makes it easy. Their simple savings plan teaches you how to start saving without going overboard. So you don't need to mooch off your friends. You gonna finish that grape? You mean the one in my mouth? You don't need to stop buying the necessities. What you're smelling is a natural musk. Ew. You don't need to be a medical test subject. How do you feel? Mostly okay. I... <laughs> Sometimes, though. You don't need to get a second job as a stuntman. We need a new stuntman! Let's break for lunch. You just need an internet connection. Don't get left behind. Start your personal savings plan with the tips and tools on feedthepig.org. That way, you don't need to sell your soul to the devil. Fifteen bucks is the best I can do. All right, deal. Brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. When is the best time to talk to your family about staying in touch during a disaster? When floodwaters reach your door? When wildfires are engulfing the edge of your neighborhood? Or an earthquake is destroying buildings? When a tornado is tearing through town? Or a hurricane strikes? Or is the best time, perhaps, today? During a disaster, you may not be able to stay in touch with your family or friends as easily as you think. And it's not always as simple as using your cell phone. That's why now is the time to take action. Go to ready.gov communicate and make your emergency plan today. Don't wait. Communicate. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the BS Sports Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the BS Sports Show. Five minutes until game time for the New York Yankees. But before we finish off with that, Larry Brooks of the New York Post, as well as Darren Drager, have both reported that tomorrow will be the end of the 15-year career for Henrik Lundqvist in a Rangers uniform. It's, it's really sad, and uh, he's not retiring. So according to Larry Brooks, he's not done yet. They're gonna, he's going to look for a backup role with a contending team. And, I mean, this would hurt a lot less had it not been for Igor Shesterkin and Alexander Georgiev's emergence. They have a great tandem that will keep them going next year and for a long time coming. But, I mean, this is a guy that I grew up watching. He's been my favorite Ranger for so long arguably the greatest goalie of the last 15 years. And he's the greatest European goalie of all time. Top five in wins. Uh, I mean, he, you could just rattle off the stats. But the end of an era definitely in New York. It's tough. And as an Islander fan, I mean, they've battled against Lundqvist. As a goalie growing up, though, you, you can never – you could hate the Rangers all you want, but the respect level for Lundqvist was just – just the leadership. I know he wasn't a captain. He didn't wear the C, but he was the leader in the locker room through even the times where he was that only – he was the Rangers. He was the reason they were in the playoffs year in, year out, and he always said the right things. And class act, it's sad to see him leave. Again, when Brodeur left to go to St. Louis, it was like uh, just retire as a, rain, uh, as a devil. But he believes that he could still help a team. We talked about it earlier, potentially going to a team like the Lightning and backing up Vasilevsky, but he's not going to play that much. I don't know what he wants to do. He understands that the Rangers are doing what's best for this franchise, and obviously you have a hell of a goalie in 
um, Shesterkin taking up that role is now the leader again in New York. So it's not a huge situation for the Rangers that he's going to get bought out. But at the same time, all the fans that have watched him since he came into the league, it's tough for the swell. Even as an Islander fan, he's one of those guys that you don't want to, you don't want, that you're going to miss from the game when he's not here and joining another team. It's just going to be weird to see him in another Jersey for the first time. There's two teams. I think he can really go to that. Before you say I would... Are you, you going to say Colorado is one of them? No, no, that I just I was I don't want to see him go to. Like if he goes there, this will be oh, okay. awful. And Flyers? it's Washington and the Flyers. Yeah. The Flyers have no backup with Elliot being a free agent, and Washington's going to lose Holpe, and they have Samsonov. But why wouldn't they want a guy that's been a thorn in their side every time they try to make a playoff run, right? I, if first of all, I'd rather him go to Washington. Second of all, if I ever see him wearing an orange jersey, I will not only throw up on the spot, but I will be so <laughs> upset. And just discombobulated from seeing that. Mark Stahl in a Detroit Red Wings jersey looks so weird. Henrik Lundqvist in a Flyers jersey would look more disturbing than Gritty when he first came out. He, he was disturbing. He gave me nightmares. He gave me. He gave everybody nightmares, man. It was the weirdest thing ever. But I understand what you're saying. If he was a Flyer, I mean, I, I would, would love Colorado. I think Colorado is just the the best place for him to go because they are just a go- they're a goalie away from winning winning the whole thing. I mean, Grubauer wasn't terrible. Our boy Pavel. I'm not going to try his last <laughs> name. It's just not. No, but you look at it, and Lundqvist would be a perfect fit there because let's let's say he's not going to be playing 30, 40 games anymore. If he could be a tandem, I think he can still be a tandem. Uh, you know, if him and Grubauer split time, or I think he'd still contribute. Again, the, the defense for the Rangers wasn't good. And a guy like Lundqvist getting up there in age is not making the unreal saves that he used to be making, and he's letting in weak goals. I think on a team like Colorado healthy with a great defense, great forward group, a great team in front of him, we could see Lundqvist put up numbers that he's put up a couple of years ago. And I think that'd be an awesome way to, I mean, maybe it's a one-year deal and that's it. He has one try left and that's it. But, you know, we got two minutes left. Let's, let's talk up and wrap up what we saw in baseball today. Brendan, if you want to take us through the scoreboard right now. Yeah, so obviously the Chicago White Sox wound up holding on. They won 4-1 to one, and the Houston Astros also won by a score of 4-1. to one. So both those teams take a two games, uh, a one game to none lead in that series. The Tampa Bay Rays are holding on to a one nothing lead against Toronto after uh, five and a half innings there. And the Tampa Bay Rays one run this game came on a walk and a wild pitch. So uh, not a lot of offense going on here. And uh, t- Blake Snell finally gave up a hit, but Toronto has one hit and the Tampa Bay Rays have three, not a, uh, not an offensive game, but we, we talked about Tampa's pitching and, Listen, Toronto, they threw Shoemaker in this one and then had Robbie Ray come in relief. So the fact that they're holding down Tampa's offense is not a good sign for the Rays because even if they get past a uh, Toronto team, they're going to face the winner of the Yankees-Indians, who we've seen their starting pitching and what they could do. If you can't score against Shoemaker and Robbie Ray, you're going to have trouble scoring against those those rotations. Also, Hinjin Ryu gets to go tomorrow, and he's another good guy, lefty. So it'll be interesting to see, but low scoring as expected, I think, in the playoffs, especially with the just the way in a three-game best of three. It's such so much lockdown, taking more pitches. I feel like not, you know, jumping the gun. You're not swinging. You're really not swinging for the fences either. You're trying to do the little things right in a game like this, which is why I think we're seeing um, the low scores. But Yankees, Cleveland, unbiased opinion, Brendan. What is your let's let's predict score tonight after nine innings or maybe extras for this game? I mean, the last time they faced each other, there was a lot of close games, 3-2, 2-1, 1-0. I 
I really think that we're going to see a 2-1 game tonight. And, I mean, it, it comes down to which team can get that situation. That would be stressed this whole time. I don't see how Bieber is going to get hit around by this team. We know his breaking ball is dirty on the outside corner, and I don't see how Garrett Cole is going to get hit around. We've seen him in the postseason last year, and I don't think he's going to have a problem with the pressure. So, to me, I, I expect both starters to go at least six innings. I expect both starters to give up less than two runs, and – I think it's going to come down to which bullpen implodes and implodes. I mean, gives up a run first. That's exactly what I was going to say. I'm going to say three, two Yankees, but the runs are not going to come in the first, uh, the, excuse me, the winning runs not going to come in the first seven innings. I think it's going to be a bullpen miscue where Yankees get a run late, let's say the eighth inning and they hold on in the ninth, but we're out of time guys. Thanks everybody for joining us. Our great crew from SB sports talk, joining us, TJ, Sean and Jordan. It was a pleasure and enjoy the game, everybody. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Yep.